You can just say the pledge. I know I'm trying. I pledge, sorry, I pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic of which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Okay, uh, Alan, if uh, we could have the roll call, please. Sure. President Sahaba? Present. Board members Ariza? Present. Cisneros? Here. Curtis? Here. Hom? Here. Ruiz? Here. And Teague? Here. We have a full board. Okay, great. So any, any agenda changes or discussion uh, from the board or staff? No changes from staff. I have a suggestion. Okay. I suggest that we start with the board elections and then do the tentative map and then do the uh, general housing plan. I second. Okay, so board member Teague rever proposes reversing the order of the regular agenda items. Um, Vice President Ruiz seconds it. Um, should we go ahead and take a vote? Sure. President Saheba? Aye. Ariza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hom? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. That motion passes. Okay. So our agenda will be modified. Uh, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic that's not on the agenda. And by raising your hand, uh, you'll have three minutes to speak. Are there any hands raised? I am checking now, stand by. And there are no, um, there's no public comment at this time. Okay, we'll close that item and move on to consent calendar, which there is nothing listed on there. So we'll go ahead and go to our regular agenda items. Like we said, we'll start with 7C, uh, board elections. Uh, so uh, I guess, uh, Alan, Ty, um, any, would, would you like to go ahead and um, do these elections, I, I guess, um, help yes. guide them. Sure, absolutely. So, so typically, um, the board, I mean, this is a, a board function, um, the board with amongst yourselves can discuss and decide who you want to nominate for the next um, board president and vice president. Um, and typically, the, the vice president is next in line, but this is completely um, right. Right. That's Among the board and, and staff actually doesn't have a direct role. Okay, that's fine. Um, I see some hands raised if you'd like to speak on this item. Uh, any board members? So uh, board member T. Thank you. I'd like to nominate uh, board member Ruiz for president and board member Hom for vice president. Second. Okay, so we have... Um, a nomination by board member Teague and a second by board member Curtis. Any further discussion uh, from the board on, on that motion? Thank you for the nomination. 
Yeah, thank you also. Okay. All right, well, if everyone's good with that motion, why don't we go ahead and take a vote? Um, President Sahaba? Uh, aye. Board Member Ariza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hong? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. And that motion passes unanimously. Okay, great. Uh, all right, so let's keep moving. Uh, next item up is 7B, and this is for uh, a tentative map application by the city of Alameda on the Oakland Inner Harbor Tidal Canal. And should we, um, do we have a presentation? Uh, board Member Sahaba, I'll, I'll take that presentation. This is Andrew Thomas, Planning, Building, and Transportation Director. Um, this is really a continuation of an effort that started um, many years ago um, to uh, the Army Corps of Engineers wanted to turn the um, channel over to the cities of Oakland and Alameda. Um, so uh, the channel was divided. It is the Oakland-Alameda estuary as it runs from about the Park Street Bridge around to um, Eastern Alameda, the portion of, of, of land that essentially created the island of Alameda. We were originally a peninsula and the Army Corps of Engineers dug a channel um, between the two cities to help drain the estuary. Um, and they've owned it ever since. And then in 2016, they, they, they conveyed it over to the two cities. And then one of the things that Alameda did was to um, uh, a bunch of the property owners, all, all the property owners on the Alameda side had sort of had leases, which allowed them to have docks. So um, we created about 99 parcels back in 2016 and, and um, dedicated them or, or sold them to those adjacent property owners. Um, so for their docks and things like that. Uh, there were six property owners that did not receive land back in 2016. And these were the six property owners that that are adjacent to the three public access little pathways that were originally created when that subdivision was done over almost a hundred years ago. Um, the, um, anyway, uh, to make a long story short, we've, uh, had, the council had several meetings in the interim to decide how to proceed. Um, and so now we are doing the map for the last six property owners. So um, we are creating six individual parcels, two at each of the three public access um, locations where the, the public can walk down a path. Um, at one of those locations, the city council uh, decided to relinquish public access. So there's only public access to the water's edge at two of the properties or two of the public access pathways. So. What this map does is it creates six individual parcels that can be sold to the six property owners. Um, it does include um, ease, an easement. The easement will serve three functions. Um, the idea of the easement is to be number one, a scenic easement so that if some a member of the public walks to the end of the path to the shoreline, there's a scenic easement of a, uh, 
out across the water, meaning the property owner can't build anything that would block that, that view. Um, there's also an emergency management easement, meaning if uh, emergency management personnel ever need to access the area in the event of a disaster, um, fire boats, maybe pumping water out of the estuary if needed for a fire, um, any of those sorts of things. Um, uh, the easement maintains the ability for the um, city to use it for emergency management. And then at two of the three locations, um, there's also a public access easement, which means that the city has the right in the future, if we want to create public access, like a kayak dock or a, a build a facility that would allow people to go from the land side pathway across the water out to the main parcel. Remember the main parcel that's out in the water is owned by the city. So that is publicly accessible water um, that the city could do that. At this time, the city has no plans to build public access facilities at any of these locations. Um, it's just not particularly attractive from a public access perspective. There's a whole number of issues. Um, and in terms of where do we want, we the city and the parks department want to invest money in building kayak launches and things like that. Um, these, these, these locations just don't rise to the top. Um, there are lots of other places where the city is planning to build um, public access. But this easement does reserve the right for some future council to make that decision. Now, there is the one location where this city council decided to relinquish the public access easement along the land side. So for that reason, at that third location, um, there is not a public access easement all over the water because if the public can't get to the water's edge, there's really no need for the public access easement over the water. Um, so staff is recommending approval of this tentative map. Um, the planning board's role on a tentative map is to make a recommendation to the city council. Um, so we will take your recommendation to the council probably in November. Um, I'm available to answer any questions. Uh, yeah, please raise your hand if there are any questions from the board and then we'll open it up for public questions and comments, uh, Vice President Brees. Um, Director Thomas, thank you for the presentation. And you did mention that um, this view easement, the scenic easement also um, preserved the rights for future city councils to construct recreational or other docks for public use. Um, and I noticed that there's already um, some, some of the easement have existing docks, private owned structures on them already. So what's going to happen to them? So we're working on the easement language now with the property owners, but the idea is this. There might be encroachments into the easement today uh, in a couple of locations that the property owner can, that, that they can continue to um, use the dock that encroaches into the easement. They can continue to maintain that dock. Um, in the event that a future city council decides that they want to build a public access, essentially it would be a floating dock. Mm -hmm. And in the event that that future council wants to make, you know, expend those resources to do that, um, the idea is that the city would um, 
pay, you know, for the and and would pay for the removal of any dock that was in the way, mm-hmm. and also pay for the um, reconstruction of any dock necessary. I mean, the issue is not so much the floating dock, mm-hmm. but when there's a piling that's in the easement. I mean, if you take out the piling, the floating dock floats away. So basically, the idea is if you're going to take out a piling. If the city, a future city council is going to take out a piling, then a future city council should also plan to fund the replacement of that piling outside of the easement so that the property owner can still have a viable dock. Okay, thank you. Uh, Board member Curtis. Thank you. I was lucky enough to be on this board uh, in 2016 when the other parcels were, were done. And I, I asked the question, then I'll ask the question now. When, when the land was deeded over to the city of Al- Alameda from the Corps of Engineers, when the property owners bought the, the land in front of their dock, did they, did they also buy the obligation to maintain the riprap that that's there and maintain that uh, shoreline? Yes. And my the, concern is that, that there's a liability that goes with this, that the property owner, if they don't, if they, if one, number one, what happens if they don't um, buy the land? And number two, if they do, do they have the obligation to maintain that shoreline? Yes, the shoreline is part of the property. So when you buy the submerged parcel, you're buying, you're essentially buying the submerged parcel and now you own the wall between the submerged parcel and the upland parcel, which is where your house is. Um, so yes, the property owner is taking on responsibility for the seawall. I, I imagine that even if they didn't buy it then, if there was uh, any erosion on the bank that the, the city or the owner would come in there and fix it and then the property owner would be assessed for the, the damage or the repair of that? Well, I think, you know, in the old days before this had happened, there, there may have been some debate, like whose responsibility is the seawall? Is it the Army Corps of Engineers? Is it the property owner? You know, who's responsible? I don't really, I don't know of any issues or any instances where this came up, but in the future, with these maps being approved and these parcels being sold, you know, if you own a parcel on Fernside and you own the submerged parcel you know, off the back of your property, you now own that seawall as well. So that seawall is now your responsibility. Good, thank you. And so far, every property owner, every every residential property owner has purchased the property. They all want to own their docks. You know, prior to this, these the 2016 subdivision, every single property owner was essentially their dock was on a lease. And there was no guarantee that the lease wouldn't be terminated. Now they will own their submerged parcels. Good point. Okay. Uh, any other board members have questions? So, Andrew, I just had a question, which was Are there any other regional agencies that uh, need to review shoreline access? Um, that would be impacted by these decisions? Yeah, uh, Bay Conservation Development Commission, BCDC. Um, yep, we, have BCDC. Been in, we have been in communication with them. They are aware of all of this um, and have been, we've been working with them since 2016 on this. Um, okay. So, you know, 
these last six parcels were part of the original plan. I mean, it was, we sort of did the whole thing. All the heavy lifting was done in 2016. We created a hundred parcels and sold 99 of them. Um, we just, at we kind of, in 2016, we, we all, the planning board, the council staff, we all got a little bit unclear with what we should do with these six because of these public access points. Um, so over the last few years, um, the city staff and the city council have been working with those six property owners. And what you're really seeing is kind of the, the result of those conversations. So this is the final six of the 105 or so parcels that we originally intended to create. Okay, so BCDC has been kept in the loop. Oh yeah, they're fully aware of all of this and have been involved throughout. Got it, got it. Okay, that's helpful. Okay, um, so we'll now open it up for public comment or questions. If you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand and you'll be called upon. Uh, do we have anyone who would like to speak on this? Not yet, and it looks like there is no, no one doing so. So no public comment at this time. Okay, we'll close the public comment for this agenda item and open it up for board discussion and motions. Uh, any, um, any board members want to make a motion or have any discussion on this? I, I, can, I can go ahead and make a motion that we um, proceed with approval of the, um, or yeah, the draft uh, resolution that's that's been put in front of us um, for uh, for moving this this agenda item forward. I'll second. I'll second. Um, I think Teresa has a. Hey, go oh. ahead. Go oh, ahead. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Or were you just going to second it, uh, Vice President Reese? Yeah, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, so we have a second from Board Member Cisneros. Uh, any other discussion, or should we go ahead and take a vote? Okay. It looks like no one else is raising their hand. All right. Um, Alan, if you want to take a vote. Remember, Reza? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Tom? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. And that motion passes unanimously. Okay, great. Okay, now we'll move to agenda item 7A. This is the public hearing to consider a resolution recommending that the City Council approve the general plan housing element and zoning amendments. Uh, to meet the RENA um, uh, goals for the period of 2023 through 2031. Um, do we, does staff have a presentation? I, yeah, I'll take this one as well, um, okay. President Sahaba. This is um, Andrew Thomas, Planning Building and Transportation Director. Um, we're pretty excited to be presenting this draft resolution to the Planning Board tonight. Um, it's been two years of work with the Planning Board. The Planning Board has done an amazing job I think we counted something like 17 public workshops that you've held over the last two years working on the housing element and the, and the accompanying zoning amendments. So um, we believe it's time 
and it's appropriate that the planning board move this draft housing element and the zoning amendments up to council. Um, you have done your job. You've created a housing element that the state of California stated in writing in August that it meets state requirements for certification. That that letter basically says if you if the planning of if the city of Alameda City Council approves this housing element and the accompanying zoning amendments, the city of Alameda will be certified. So um, you can't do much better than that. Um, at this point, we think it's time for the planning board to move this item up to the council because only the city council can approve the housing element and the zoning amendments. Um, this whole discussion about our housing element started over two years ago and it all started with measure A. Um, when the planning board held a measure A workshop in the January of 2020, um, and it's interesting, at least to staff, that it sort of seems to be ending with it as well. When you look at the last few letters that have come in, um, primarily for Alameda Architectural Preservation Society and Alameda Citizens Task Force, it's still about Measure A. Um, and their, their requests to essentially leave the residential districts as is and not remove Measure A from the residential districts um, HCD made it clear in their letter that the, that program four is very important and the associated zoning amendments are very important. So for that reason alone, um, we do not recommend that, that the planning board um, change that program or maintain measure A in the residential districts as requested by AAPS and ACT. Um, I think the other thing from staff's perspective, I mean, as you saw on the housing element, we don't expect, frankly, a whole lot of housing to be built as a result of that. Um, I think it's interesting to us, as those of us who work in the permit center every day, um, there is this attitude or assumption from the AAPS letters and the ACT letters that there's this huge pent up demand to of Alameda property owners to sell their properties or demolish their buildings to build multifamily housing on their properties. Um, we just don't see that. Um, over the course of the last five years, every single one of these residential property owners had the ability to build two second units on their property. Only about 50 a year take advantage of that out of six, over 16,000 and almost none of them try to do two, it's always one unit. The other, I think, interesting indicator here is that in January of this year, every single property owner who in the, in the R1 district, and that's, that's 9,000 of the 16,000 property owners, any one of them could have come in at any point to recommend, to ask for permits to demolish their home and build four units on their property. We haven't gotten a single application. Any one of them could have walked into city hall and said, hey, I'm really interested in selling off a piece of my property. I would like a lot split, please. Not a single property owner has walked into city hall and asked for that. So um, 
we we our experience is that Alameda, re, you know, property owners in the residential districts, they actually like living on their property. They're not interested in tearing down their homes to build or selling off their properties to developers to build multifamily. Um, the housing element takes a, a very, for that reason, the housing element is relatively conservative about how many housing units we believe will be created in the residential neighborhoods as a result of these ch zoning changes. It's not very much, but that's not why we are making these changes. That's not why these changes are important to the state. It's about fair housing. It's about the, the concept that you can't prohibit in all your residential districts the type of housing that is most affordable to people of lower income. That's the issue. It's a fair housing issue, and that's why Program 4 is important to the state of California, why we, why we think it's important to the city of Alameda, and why we're recommending that this housing element uh, be recommended to the city council. City staff is absolutely ready to recommend this housing element with the with the changes we outlined in the staff report to the city council. Um, we hope the planning board will join us in recommending it to the city council. Uh, myself and Alan Ty, we're both here to um, answer any questions you have um, about the draft housing element and the associated zoning amendments. Okay, great. Thanks for the um, explanation, Andrew. Uh, okay, we'll start with board questions. Um, board members Cisneros. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, um, Director Thomas and staff, and also um, to the public for um, their review and um, this uh, really wonderful draft that we have before us. Um, I have a couple comments that I'll address later on, but just in terms of a question, um, can you just uh, walk through the the transit waiver map a little bit more in detail? Can you just, um, I, I know we had some back and forth, but um, yeah. it'd be helpful if you could do that. Sure. Um, Alan, are you able to bring up the map? It's an exhibit to the staff report. Yes. Um, yeah, just one second. Yeah, so we, we, we have a provision, our transit overlay, or um, which is in part, part of program four. And the, uh, the whole intent of it is to um, try to encourage um, property owners in the residential districts uh, who are within a quarter mile of transit to make it as easy as possible for them to add housing. Um, so what this map shows is the parcels that are zoned residential that would be subject to this provision. And the provision is modeled on a number of state laws that create incentives or waivers for development of housing near transit. I mean, this is a concept that is well-established in state law, in all of our regional plans, in our climate action plan, in our general plan, that we want, if we're gonna build more housing, we want it to be as close as possible to transit. So this provision is designed um, to really recognize and, and make it as easy as possible for people in residential districts who are within a quarter mile um, to, to add housing on their property if they like. And this map shows which, the, which properties they, those are. 
And this is based on what we define as high quality transit. So there are transit lines that run out to Alameda Point today. They're not on this map. There are transit lines that run through Harbor Bay. They are not on this map. And that's because they're not what um, are defined as high quality. They don't have 15 minute service. So, but as we continue to improve transit in the future, which is the plan to make transit stronger and better and more expansive throughout the city, then the number of parcels that are eligible for these waivers will increase. But based on today's transit in Alameda, these are the, these are the um, parcels within a quarter mile. Um, so did that, did I address some of the questions that you were curious about, Commissioner or board yeah. member? Thank you. Um, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, board member T. Thank you. Um, Andrew, in the draft resolution, can we separate the zoning text amendments from the housing element? Uh, yes, you can. You could, the the board, if you like, you can do this in two separate votes. Okay. You could vote on the housing element and then you could vote on the zoning text amendments. Okay, thank I you. I also, there's, we discovered two typos in the reso, which I'd like to correct for the record before you vote, um, but I don't have to do it right now. Uh, on page three of the resolution, it says that we reviewed the general plan last land use diagram and zoning map, but I can't find those in any yeah. of the exhibits or on the Alameda 2040 website. Yeah, so let me just explain that. There's a few typos in this um, resolution that I wanna correct and they all relate to this one issue, which is there's really four things that we need to do. But tonight we're only bringing you the first two. The four things are adopt the housing element, the second thing is adopt the zoning text amendments that we've all been working on. Those are the big two, and those are the two that we're recommending tonight. There are seven properties in Alameda where we are changing the zoning, like the, you know, we're putting the zoning, the, for example, the four shopping centers, we're putting the multifamily, that, 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 that overlay on four specific sites. Two of the sites also require um, uh, adjustments to their designation on the land use diagram in the general plan. What, we're, what we did is we at the uh, sort of, we were gonna bring all four things at once and we wrote the resolution for all four things. And then we realized, no, what we need to do is we need to bring the housing element and the master zoning amendments tonight which is the two things that are before you tonight and are the actual exhibits to this resolution in your packet. We will be back in two weeks with the resolution for the seven sites. Um, really, it came down to just noticing. We need to do some additional noticing for the property owners um, and posting those sites. So we, want, we gave ourselves an extra two weeks for that. But those seven sites and how they'll be rezoned are all described in the housing element. They're part of the site inventory. So 
there's going to be no surprises in two weeks when we come back. It is the seven sites that are described in the housing element to be rezoned. Okay, so that answers the following question about the land use diagram for one property that was mentioned yeah. further. Yeah, down. that's a typo needs to be removed okay. from this resolution. Okay, so then in the zoning uh, text amendments on page four, um, what is the difference between a home and a residence? I don't know that it matters. Okay. Uh, and we, we measure, we, we measure, what matters is units. Cause okay. that's, I, I and just, that's, we used home or residence and I'm like, okay, is there a difference? No. And, okay. Why are we not including a definition of efficiency unit? We, we debated that long and hard at the staff level. Um, and we didn't, now that we have dealt with, we have density standards that make sense in the R1 through R6, and we have no maximum density in the commercial districts, mixed use districts, we didn't feel the need to introduce the concept of an efficiency unit. Okay. Uh, on page 11, uh, we refer to kitchen facilities. How is that different than a kitchen? It's the same. Okay. Um, in the R1, we dropped multiple family from the list from the previous version of the text amendments. Was that, that obviously was intentional. I don't know that that's right. Well, we dropped it. It's not there now. Helen, can you take a quick look at the permitted uses in single family? Because it was there. Maybe it's hidden somewhere else? No, it should be right there in the permitted uses. Okay, then on page 19, we dropped residential care facilities from R1. Did we intend to do that? What's, what's the reasoning for that? We'd have to we'd have to pull up the R1. I think we, it may have just been because it's part of another category. It was not that was not. I don't. We didn't drop it. Oh, you didn't intend to drop it. It may have. We been, certainly didn't intend to drop it. And drop. Okay. Uh, and then under C1, we seemingly dropped fitness studios, which they may not actually have private instruction. We have this thing called private instruction. That doesn't include fitness. So did we intend to not support fitness studios? I think we've got them blended under a larger category that includes fitness studios. Yeah, well, I, I, I believe these are cleanup edits. Uh, let me um, pull up the document. I uh, kind of frozen here on my screen. Bear with me for just a second. Okay, and my last question was what happened to the zoning map amendments, which you already answered. So I appreciate that. Um, and then in terms of the housing element, I think I don't actually have, most of my things are comments, not questions. So let me just do a quick look to make sure I don't have any. I have no other questions. So thank you for that. Well, Alan's dealing with the 
technology. It was not our intention to drop multifamily from single family. Um, we allow four units on a property in R1 as a result of SB9. So the logic was why prohibit more than one unit or more than two units in a building if we're going to allow four. Um, All right, there we go. It used to be listed on line number two. Yeah, I don't know where it went. Um, that needs to go back. Thank you for doing that or for catching that. And then um, the other question you raised was, um, uh, Re, what was it? Um, uh, the re, a rebuilt um, family daycare? No, what was Age it? Age 19 used to have residential care facilities and senior care facilities, and it no longer does. As uh, conditional use. Oh, because that's now a permitted use. Is it? Uh, well, I mean, I, this was something that we went back and forth with. Excellent, thank on. you. Thank you, that clarified that. Yeah, yep. it's, yeah. number nine, oh. residential care facilities. Awesome, yeah. But then there's the fitness studio, which- I, I think we blend, do you remember, Alan? I think we, we debated this at staff level as well. I think we have a larger category, which subsumes fitness. The category that was added was private instruction including tutoring, yoga, music, martial arts, and dance, but not fitness. Fitness, I think, is um, under a different land use category for um, gymnasiums or gyms, fitness centers. I think they're referenced elsewhere. Uh, but it used to be allowed in this area in C1. Let's go to the C1. Yeah, you're almost there, Alan. Page 40. There you go. If it's somewhere else, that would be great. But I, I looked and I couldn't find it. So we have the martial arts, they're right there, the dance studios. Fitness studios, um, if it appeared under uses permitted, it probably was uh, one of the iterations. And so I think our intent is that we're wrapping it under the um, private instruction um, category. And if we can certainly add fitness we can, yeah. to that list. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that was the intent. These things from a land use perspective are all the same. You know, people, coming to a facility. Wait, health, no. Can you just take us down to the use permit section? Let me just see if there's, oh. yeah, it's not, it's not down here. 
Oh, you're you're past it now. Yeah, and I don't believe it was part of the C one to begin with. So, uh, Commissioner Teague, do you 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 remember it being in the C one? It, I mean, it was in the previous iteration of this document. We have, I, I think it. I mean, it, it. We can certainly add those words to that per, that list of permitted uses, which has the yoga studios, the. Can you just scroll up, Alan? Just yeah, and I think also the thinking is that um, fitness studios, if they are kind of the small fitness studios where the focus is really on um, kind of personal training, like a yoga studio, that those would fall under the category of a private instruction. But if you're 24-hour fitness, your large gym centers, um, we're not uh, – the, the idea is that we're not allowing those uses in the C1. I mean, this is sort of neighborhoods – serving small, um, kind of your, your local um, corner studio versus a 24-hour fitness type facility. It is not currently part of C1. It's currently not part of C1. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's not part of C1 today. Those are all my questions. Okay, thank you. Uh, Board Member Hong. You're muted, Board Member Hong. Okay, sorry, I thought I unmuted myself, it didn't work. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I just, I know this is Q&A, but I just wanted to first um, acknowledge all the staff hard work on this over the last two years or so, and also fellow board members and members of the public that contributed to where we are today. I mean, we've, many of the issues we've covered several times before. So, so uh, I think the staff kind of summarized the position pretty well in the latest staff report. Just have a couple of questions and some of these questions are prompted by some of the feedback I got. Um, the CEQA review, uh, you know, staff has done a, um, put forth a really good argument on how the CEQA review for the general plan, um, you know, is the housing element really kind of uh, ties into the general plan, which makes a lot of sense. For the zoning amendments, for this, all the specific zoning amendments, was did the CEQA document um, get to the level of detail of describing the full array of zoning amendments that we've deliberated on since the general plan was adopted? So just wanted to just want to make sure the CEQA document you know, adequately covers all the various zoning amendments being described. Yeah, yes, we believe it does. Um, the zoning implements the housing element. And as, as we described in our staff report, we described in our general plan and in our general plan EIR where we thought that housing was gonna go. Mm -hmm. um, I think we provided some examples, for, you know, in the staff report of specific policies that we adopted and cleared through, you know, through CEQA and that general plan EIR um, as to um, which are 
now implemented by this by this zoning. So um, we're feeling very comfortable and confident that we have a very good CEQA document um, that fully anticipated where our, you know, where the housing was going to go, the kinds of um, zoning that we would be adopting, mm -hmm. you know, for example, unlimited density in residential building, you know, in existing buildings, um, shopping centers. Um, we also, we, we knew the arena when we did the EIR. We knew where we were. I mean, those of you who've been on the planning board for the last four or five years and went, went through the whole general plan process with us, um, the the update of the general plan. I mean, when I think back on those three years, I think it was pretty much almost entirely about housing. Um, that's what we talked about as a community. Where are we going to put housing? What kind of housing? I mean, the Measure A conversation was went throughout the general plan as well. So um, it's um, we're feeling very comfortable with our EIR, and we think it's it's adequate. Okay. Okay. No, that's 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 fine. That's that's just what, what I wanted to hear. Just a couple of questions on the transit waiver map. Um, the quarter mile radius to be included when you're a kind of edge parcel. Are you included in the quarter mile radius if you're like if your parcel just touches that quarter mile, or is it kind of like some majority of your lot? Or how's how how did was it determined if you're kind of right at the border and the quarter mile kind of crosses over a portion of your property? We we defined it as a, a perpendicular line from the transit line to the, you know, if any portion of your property touched it. Touches, okay. So, you know, if you have a big parcel and, you know, so those some of those edge parcels at the very, very edge, um, yeah, it might be a quarter mile right. So as long as any portion of your property yep. uh, falls within that quarter mile, then that's included in this color code. Exactly. Map. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Just want to uh, clarify that. Also, when we talked at the last meeting, we talked about there was an interest in potentially identifying those areas where a maybe future transit corridor might be planned in the near future or so that you verify with with a ac transit or or you know regional transportation plans that there's not a proposed transit line that meets the definition of frequent whatever the term is frequent with frequent transit or bus service uh, within the near future well, I no. I think our, you know, our attitude is, oh, we know we'll be adding. I mean, we have existing bus lines, for example, out to Alameda Point. Now we have two going out to Alameda Point. They're not frequent enough to be classified as high frequency, mm -hmm. but we certainly plan to make them high frequency in the future with AC Transit through our TMA and the funds that we raise to supplement transit. At this point, there's just not enough people living out at Alameda Point, not enough employees out at Alameda Point really to warrant the investment. But I think our attitude is, oh no, we, we absolutely think that in the future, there will be more parcels on this map and they, as you, particularly as you head out towards Alameda Point. Um, that's why we don't recommend 
adopting this map as a zoning overlay. Um, we think, because then every time you increase the frequency, um, you before somebody can take advantage of that, they, you have to do a zoning amendment to amend the zoning map. Um, so that's why we sort of took the approach that state law takes. There's a lot of state laws that talk about quarter mile. None of them have maps. Um, it's just, hey, if you're within a quarter mile of this kind of transit services, you should have this kind of these kinds of benefits and incentives. Um, look, if, if the planning board thinks it's really important to have a map, then this is what the map would look like if we adopted a zoning map. Um, the other thing, we just felt it was, you know, I think, you know, if we, if we along the Northern waterfront, I mean, I don't know, it, it, it's, Yep, we you know. could, you know, I mean, we don't, we didn't want to get into a, a situation where we were trying to predict where transit would be. We, we are pretty sure that high frequency lines will start to go out to Alameda Point as we develop more of Alameda Point. We also think some of the lines, um, there's the, the line 19 that runs through the northern waterfront on Buena Vista right now. It's not on this map, but if it gets to 20 to 15 minute um, headways, because more and more of our projects are going in. I mean, those, all those projects along the Northern waterfront are contributing to our TMA on an annual basis. Our TMA, I can, I mean, there, it is very likely that in future years, the TMA will partner with AC Transit to increase the frequency by funding additional transit services, which would then extend the amount of areas that would, um, be eligible for these waivers all the way to the water's edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I, I, I think the other thing that's just on our mind, and this has come up a lot over the course of the last month, you know, we have, we have advocates saying we haven't done enough. We need to do more zoning. We need to loosen things up even more. Um, then we have others, ACT and AAPS saying, oh no, it's too much, it's too much. It's gonna be this avalanche of housing. There's gonna be too much housing. I think from staff's perspective, we are very much in the mindset of planning for housing doesn't end every eight years. It's going to be an annual effort. We're going to do annual reports. We're going to, uh, for, under state law, we're going to have to report to HCD what we've accomplished each year. Um, HCD, you know, they, they required that we sort of put an extra emphasis on the four-year report. So we make adjustments at that point. Um, I, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see, first of all, whether anyone takes advantage of this overlay over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the next couple of years, the planning board can continue to make decisions about this overlay. Um, you might decide, hey, it's not working enough. We need to do more. We need to loosen it up more or extend it to other areas of the city. Um, if, if, if AAPS is right and it's gonna be, oh my goodness, too much housing is getting built near transit, you might wanna rein it in. Um, we think it's a pretty good, a pretty good provision um, from staff's perspective, we're pretty comfortable with it. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll know more in a year and then we'll yeah. know even more in another two years. Yeah, I wanna be clear. I'm not questioning the yeah. concept of a transit map. Yeah, uh, at all, you know, that's that. That's not what my question really was intended to do. And I understand. I think the fact that there's at least a map 
it's good whether it's actually adopted in zoning ordinance or is kind of something that lives outside of zoning code you know the key is that there's a map i think that's good i guess my main question was um down the road you know it's, you have a transit line say going out to to uh alameda point it they they end up being able to increase transits with a 15 minute headway so then at that point you would, would look into adding that additional yes. route into the process. So to me, it's like, what's the process for that? Is that will staff oh, just? So yes. that was really my question. It's not, I'm sorry. I'm not I questioning just, about yeah. is is how does it get added? Yeah, no, I, I, that's a great question, and I'm sorry, I miss I misunderstood. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I should have um, been clear. I, I think the idea we created this map. Um, I want to recognize David Sablon on our staff. We have, we have there's about four of us, five of us who've been working on all of this and. Um, you haven't seen much of David Sablon or Henry Dong um, or Brian McGuire at these meetings, but they've been instrumental in this effort. We meet every week to work on the zoning together. Um, he created this map. And um, that was the idea. Once we saw this map, we we're like, wow, this is super helpful for the staff, for the residents. And if the, um, and it's all on GIS. So let's say the, the line that goes, and we, our plan is to, you know, publish this map. It's going to be available at the permit center. It'll be available online. Um, if somebody wants to build housing anywhere in this area, we'll be able to very quickly go, oh, you're in the transit overlay. Okay. That means the provisions are a little bit different for you. If if uh, we work with AC Transit and we get the, the transit lines to a higher high enough frequency going out to Alameda Point, it'll be very easy for us to update this map. Um, and 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 publish the new version for both staff and and affected property owners. Yeah, and I would would encourage that there'll be some public outreach or public information, maybe not outreach. So Absolutely. Not least, it's not necessarily a decision. I just want to make sure the process is clear down the road. Should we be fortunate to have improved transit service that will meet the definition of a, you know, rapid of a frequent service transit facility. That's, so it's really just a question about process. Okay, just just two more questions real quick. Um, there's, there's discussion about distinguishing, you know, commercial in general from retail uses. It seems to me that in your zoning ordinance or in certain areas, there are distinguishing uh, definitions of, of what, you know, commercial, especially with ground floor, um, can you refresh my memory? What the Sony post Sony code says regarding, you know, when when for ground floor uh, commercial or ground floor retail, is it a little bit more precise? Where ground floor retails, like in shopping center sites, that is retail versus commercial, is there a distinction or not? Alan, do you want to take that one or? You yeah, I think if I want, I, if I understand uh, Boardman Haram's question, um, I think in, in the um, shopping center overlay, what we're trying to do is um, hone in on the fact that we prefer retail type services over um, over other types of General office commercial. commercial or other, right, other types of commercial. I mean, in kind of the example we had discussed is we wouldn't want a developer coming in at South Shore, for example, build an office building for R&D and say, hey, that's met, that qualifies to satisfy the com commercial component. We want it actually neighborhood serving retail. Yeah. 
So that's yeah. the distinction we're trying to make um, with specifically in the shopping center overlay. Okay, so the overlay district makes that distinction. Yes. Okay, because I because that was I know that what seems to be one of the key questions that got raised: the distinction between commercial and retail. And I do seem to recall in our past discussions there there was this emphasis on ground floor retail in those mixed-use districts. And this continues a policy direction that the city has had for a very long time on places like Park Street and Webster Street and even South Shore Shopping Center, which is, you know, if you want to put a retail use on the ground floor, that sort of prime ground floor space, mm -hmm. um, which is where we want our, re you know, retail is permitted. If, if somebody today, and for the last 30 years, if somebody wanted to put an office on the ground floor on Park Street or Webster Street, they were required to go through the use permit process. Mm. And the findings for that use permit was typically, hey, this is, you know, if you can make the finding it's not prime retail space, mm -hmm. then okay, it's okay. Yeah. But it was really this concept of the, the pedestrian oriented ground floor space facing the, you know, the sidewalk on Park Street, Webster Street really should be reserved for, for, for that for retail, retail experience. Retail. Yeah, um, that's what I seem to recall. It just seems there were some questions raised about that, so I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, my, my last question, and this is maybe just because there's so much discussion about this, the, the fact that residential uses are going to be by right ministerial. My understanding is that just because they're ministerial, it doesn't super uh, circumvent any requirements for compliance with the housing preservation ordinance. That's right. Is that correct? Um, so that if, yeah. even if you have a buy right project, if that buy right project involves demolishing a historic structure on the site, is still subject to that ordinance. So Thank in you. a way, in a way, the project itself is ministerial, but not the the removal of the historic structure. That it seems to be a point that needs to be maybe clarified. I yeah, that's correct. That you are absolutely right. I, I thank you for making that statement, that question. I just had a conversation with Chris Buckley about that today on the phone, um, and I think this is the way to think about it. Um, residential has been by right in the residential districts for thirty years. What's what we're saying? What's different now is we're saying it's not just single family that's by right. It's if you have three units in a building, that's by right as well. That doesn't mean that, you know, and I think there's a couple of things. If, if you're gonna demolish a historic building, then our city requires a certificate of approval. That's a discretionary permit. That is not by right. And we are not changing that ordinance, which is what you said. And I just, for the record, wanna make that super clear. There's other things too. If you need a subdivision map, that's subject to the Subdivision Map Act. That's not by right either. Like mm -hmm. just because you're saying, oh, I'm doing housing, I should be by right. I should not have to have any public hearings. I shouldn't have to do CEQA. Well, if you're asking for a parcel map, you're not by right anymore. You're, you're going through the discretionary process. So there are lots of things like that that might get triggered um, um, if you, you know, are requesting those kinds of permissions, those kinds of entitlements, demolishing a historic building, creating a subdivision map, things like that. You're still gonna be going through a discretionary approval mm -hmm. process. Yeah, yeah. 
we'll and we're still recommending, you know, we're still requiring design review. So, you know, state law has made some design review for things like supportive housing, ministerial, meaning there's no planning board review. It has to be done by staff over the counter. Um, yeah. Yeah. But most yeah. projects will still be coming to the planning board for design review. Yeah. Yeah. And um, objective design standards doesn't exactly. eliminate design review. Um, okay, that's great. That's thanks for answering my questions. That's all I have. Uh, thanks, uh, board member Carissa. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just have a few questions. Just kind of to understand. I, I, it was great to see the map for the transit corridor. I think for me. I really need to visualize the area. So for example, C1 and C2, is, is there a way to see that in a map somewhere? I, we actually can, these maps are amazing. So the C1s and the C1s are literally- Is it all the residential? They're mostly within the residential area. And you can see, I don't know if Alan can pull it up again, but if you zoom into that map really closely, we can show you some examples of where you know, the C1 and the Park Street and Webster Street are not on that map, even though they're actually embedded in that area um, because the transit overlay only applies to residential districts. So if you're in so a So in C other words, the C1 and C2 are correlated with the transit overlay map. Can you pull up the transit overlay map? Yes, um, sorry, just Alan. technical difficulties. I know. Uh, just thank you. I have too many windows that. open, so it's kind of okay. Here we go. Sorry about that. Thank you, Alan. Mm -hmm. um, so let me just um, and then can you just zoom in a little bit, Alan? Is that possible? Yes. To like okay. some of those C one white areas. So you see these little, these white squares that are, yeah, that yeah. Alan's putting out yeah. some. Those yeah. are areas that are zone C1. They're the, the neighborhood commercial areas. So right. we have in the zoning amendments, we are amending the C1. Uh, board member Teague was asking questions about the fitness centers. So we have made multifamily permitted by right in the C1s. We have established the height limits in the C1s. So they have their own regulations and they're yeah. not, related to this um, this map. Um, the C2 is basically the shopping centers. Um, so South Shore Shopping Center at the uh, base of Park Street. Park Street and Webster Street in the zoning amendments, we've established, so the South Shore Shopping Center is not shown in this map because we created the shopping center overlay district, which says multifamily is permitted by right, establishes minimum densities, uh, overall density that's allowed. And same with Park Street and Webster Street. So this map, we, if you, if we were to map all the areas that are affected by this zoning, you know, by all the zoning amendments, it would literally cover the entire city. Mm -hmm. um, what mm -hmm. this map is showing is just the effect of one provision. And th that provision says, if you are a residentially zoned parcel, meaning you're R1 or R2 or R3 or R4 or R5, and you are within a quarter mile of high quality transit, then um, we are going to, you still have, you know, you ha everybody gets a height limit of 40 feet at minimum. 
Many of these zones, not many, the R5, the R6 already have height limits above 40 feet. That's the dark red. So that doesn't raise their height limits. Um, it's just the R1, R2, and R3 that have height limits less than 40 feet. Um, and you are you don't have a density standard. So you can build as many units as you want in your house um, or on your property, as long as you meet the setbacks and the height limits. Right, right. So is there a reason why the C1 and C2 have no zero requirements for open space per dueling unit? Um, yes, this is, I mean, that's, that is, and that's the C1, the C2, and the, um, and the Park Street and Webster Street districts do not have open space requirements per dwelling unit. Um, that is, I think, a reflection of a couple things. One is Alameda has a lot of open space. Um, we, what we, from when we did our general plan update, um, what we learned, um, what was sort of interesting is Alameda has a lot of open space, public parks, and we have a lot of land that is already planned and zoned and owned by the city to be parks. What we don't have is money to build the parks and we don't have money to maintain those new parks. So really the open space issue for Alameda going forward into the future is not that we need more land for parks. We have, we have all the land we need for parks. Um, really it's coming down to a funding issue for you know, how do we pay to improve that land and then how do we pay on an annual basis to maintain all those parks? Um, what we are trying to do is, and then once again, Park Street, Webster Street, those are our two most transit um, rich areas. So we really wanna try to encourage um, uh, open, uh, excuse me, housing on those corridors. Mm -hmm. um, and they have never had open space requirements for residential. Um, so we, we didn't introduce new ones. Got it. Um, I guess my other question is whether you can identify site 15 anywhere in any map. Uh, there's there's reference to site 15, and but I, I although I understand where it's located, it's not easy to see it in a map either. So in the inventory, which is in the housing element. Right, the E1, figure E1. Uh, it's, um, there's table, I'm looking at table E2. And uh, site 15 is comprised of basically uh, five sites, 15A, B, C, D, and E. C, D, and E have addresses associated. Those are specific properties when there's addresses associated with them. One on Clement, one on Mariner Square Drive, and then 400 Park Street. The other two, 15A, are accessory dwelling units. So those are just spread all through the neighborhoods. And the, the, the way that under state law, the way we project how many units will happen is based on past performance. And then 15B, is a projection of how many housing units will occur in addition to accessory dwelling units also in all those residential districts. So 
the residential districts are the R1 through R6. Those are the 16, you know, there's over 16,000 of those parcels. Um, but there is, there is no, there is no prediction as to, you know, which property owners will, will add housing on their individual units, I mean, on their individual properties. Um, but the total anticipated is 160 in 80, in eight years. So it's a very, very conservative estimate of how many property owners. I mean, basically we're talking about 16,000 residential property owners and over eight years, we are projecting that we'll, they, those 16,000 property owners will build approximately 560 units over eight years. Yeah. Um, okay, so I remember Riza, did that, you did you want to know bit. where the locations were? I think that was part of. I I understand too. it. It's just um, I I understand where they are from the description, but when you go to the map where the site the 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 site's inventory, you don't understand. So maybe if you added a table that explains the sites fifteen A B C and D to the inventory map, then it would be clear when you're looking at the map um, that 15 A, B, C, D are something else that it's kind of like an overlay of the map, right? Um, but, and, and then uh, another question on the housing site map on that um, um, figure E1. I don't know if it's a mistake that the park area zone is, has a number four. Shouldn't it be number 13? Figure, oh, you're looking at figure one? on Figure um, e, E1, and this yes, is- Yes, I'm looking at it. And so the map itself, the number on Park Street is four, which is McKay Wellness Center. That oh, I see, yes, that's, you're right. It should be 13. Okay. You're okay, right, so that's thank just you. The typo. Okay. Yeah, no, we'll fix that. We'll fix that before it goes to council. Thank you. Yeah, no, that is that is that is not the McKay Wellness Center. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Thank you. Okay, I think those were just my questions. That was it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, seeing that no other board members have. Oh, okay. Wait a second. Um, board member Curtis. Questions. I, I just have for public. One quick question, Andrew. In, yes. in reading the report, you talk about the stakeholders. Yes. And you know, nowhere that I could find is the AAPS and ACT mentioned as a stakeholder, and they represent stakeholders too. The stakeholders are which list are you describing? I'm describing uh, on page um and the stakeholder consultations. Where where else do you have the stakeholders in the report? Oh, I was looking at I was look I was looking at page one where we have okay. the acknowledgments of all the people who all the organizations that helped put this together. We recognize both AAPS and the Alameda Citizens Task Force. But you talk about a stakeholder. Stakeholder is somebody who has has a, a dog in the fight. And and a and and ACT and AAPS rep represents a lot of the, the homeowners 
um, within Alameda who have a large stake in this, and and they should have been they should be consulted too in 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 the policies that are done on this thing and given some weight. Oh, are you are you referring to the, the appendix, the appendix yes. A three, which is the stakeholder consultations? Yes. Yes. So that's specifically required by state law. This is reaching out to um, housing advocates and people who serve lower income. Um, that's why they were. That's why they those groups were interviewed over the phone. Um, for this process, um, we, I'm ha we're happy to recognize. All, all, all that I'm saying is that that what what from a from a PR standpoint and a, and a fairness standpoint, you want a balance between left and right, if you will, and the middle, and 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 I've gotten several calls about nobody not having any representation of the older homeowners, not NIMBYs necessarily, but older homeowners. Being an old guy myself, you know, I know a lot of old people. And, and um, you know, I get beat up from time to time. Well, you, what, why, are you, why aren't you representing us? I said, I'm representing the city. I'm representing everybody. But nonetheless, from a, from a fairness standpoint, if there's anything we can put in that gives their input some credulity, if you will, well, that's we can certainly, I think that's a completely fair request. I think if there's any two organizations that we have spent the most time talking to, addressing their concerns, I would say it's those two. Um, and now, we haven't always agreed, that's for sure. And I think that's been the frustration for AAPS and ACT, and it's really come down to this issue of Measure A. I mean, that's been the issue, and they have consistently worked to try to preserve some of Measure A, and that's been the that's been the rub because, from the state's perspective, you know, as they said in their several letters, you know, Measure A is fundamentally contrary to fair housing. So it's been it's been a difficult two years to be, I think, for all of us. Um, but we can certainly, we can try, we should certainly recognize, and if we haven't done enough, we certainly should. Because I think even though, I mean, this is just me speaking personally, there's there's been a ton of things we haven't agreed on, but their criticisms and their review have made this document stronger and better um, because they have done a really good job of, constantly i mean they've been at every single meeting every single meeting they have commented on every single draft um and i think as a result we have a better housing element well, you know and also the the guys from ayimbis uh, they've come out with some great comments too in terms of the letters that they've written i mean mm -hmm. all of this stuff has contributed to a very fine report and all i'm i'm trying to say is that Give credit to both sides because both sides have made an incredible contribution to this report. I would agree 100%. And that's what we tried to do in the acknowledgments on page one is list all those organizations and both AAPS and ACT are listed there with, with YIMBY and everyone else. Um, 
but um, so yeah, we can and throw. I would add that um, the uh, appendix A three is a specific response to housing element requirements that the city reach out to affordable housing providers and those stakeholders. I mean, if anything, maybe what we can do is um, uh, clarify in the heading that that list is really a subset of all of the um, uh, folks that we've engaged throughout this process, which and the wholesale list is really on page one in the acknowledgments. That would be perfect. That's a great suggestion, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. I'm taking too much time, but that was that. Um, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Board Curtis. Okay, uh, we'll open this up for public comment. Uh, if you'd like to speak on this item, please raise your hand. You'll be called upon uh, with the three-minute time limit. Uh, could we have the first speaker, please? Sure. We have Jeff Peterson. Hello, my name is Jeff Peterson. I'm a homeowner in Alameda, and I'm here tonight on behalf of Save Alameda Recreation. Our organization is dedicated to preserving outdoor recreation space in Alameda. We are in favor of the housing element in its current form, since none of the housing that is being proposed will displace land that is currently being used for outdoor recreation. As Alameda adds thousands of residents in the coming years, due to the additional housing in the housing element, the need to preserve outdoor recreation space becomes even more vital. This applies to land that is currently zoned for public recreation and commercial recreation. Land that is zoned for currently for commercial recreation. Once again, Save Alameda Recreation supports the housing element in its current form so please vote in favor. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Could we have the next speaker, please? Yes, we have Bethy. Oh, sorry, Betsy Matheson. Thank you. Good evening. I am one of many individual stakeholders, whether we're represented by any group that was consulted in this process or not. Um, you've heard me speak many times over the last two and a half years, and I'd like to welcome board member Arisa. This is a summary um, of my two and a half years of testimony. I support increasing residential development in Alameda. I support multi-use projects, including dense residential development with retail on Alameda's existing shopping center sites and business parks. I support increasing the allowable number of units within the existing walls and roofs of residential buildings throughout Alameda. I support high-rise development on the non-historic blocks of Park and Webster Streets. I am opposed to development taller than three stories in and immediately adjacent to existing residential neighborhoods. I am opposed to zoning changes, including transit overlays, that would be an incentive for real estate speculation, demolition, or demolition by neglect. Alameda's historic neighborhoods provide low-income housing now in walkable family neighborhoods. We can add more affordable units in existing buildings 
as was being done before Measure A. I do not want to lose our existing affordable housing or our walkable neighborhoods to market rate development, or, and I don't want to overshadow existing buildings with isolated high-rise buildings constructed by occasional developers who take advantage of aspirational upzoning, such as along the transit corridors. But thank you for your hard work on this important project. And I look forward to hearing your discussion and vote and hearing city council's discussion and vote. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have Karen Bay. Good evening, President Sahaba, members of the Planning Board. Um, first, um, I would like to comment that um, there needs to be a more equitable distribution of the affordable housing throughout the island. Most of the affordable housing is on the West End, and we've talked about that before, but um, it still remains uh, a concern. Second, I was particularly interested, uh, wanted to focus on the ground floor retail and the mixed use districts along the Northern waterfront and at Alameda Point. Um, I'm concerned that the new proposed zoning com code combines retail and commercial as one use, thereby putting at risk the already approved ground floor retail um, and converting them to other commercial uses. I mentioned in my written comments about the uh, approved estuary water lunchtime shuttle that will be taking Marina Village business employees to Jack London Square. Um, and at the same time, possibly converting previously approved retail to other commercial uses. Um, second, uh, so I wanna recommend splitting out the retail from the commercial in the mixed use zoning uh, districts, Northern Waterfront and Alameda Point, allowing restaurants, cafes, and coffee shops as a permitted use at the Marina Village Business Park and monitoring previously approved mixed use projects to make sure that we get the retail that was already approved and consider requiring a percentage of ground floor retail in new mixed use projects going forward. Um, finally, um, I want to uh, uh, have you consider changing the heavy industrial zoning use in the Alameda Point E4 subdistrict uh, from a permitted use to a conditional use. This will allow for project review before any final approvals are made um, or given for heavy industrial uses. This is also a, re a requirement in the North Park Street District as well. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Drew Dara Abrams. Hi. Good evening, Drew Dara Abrams calling in from the East End. 
Uh, as always, uh, first, a uh, thank you to planning staff, planning board, uh, for, and your consultants for such diligent work on the housing element and these zoning code changes. Um, that positive preliminary review by HCD, it's, it's great news for everyone who has a stake in the city having a compliant housing element. Um, and that shouldn't go without saying. Um, along with other members of the housing element working group, but I do want to draw attention to the R zones, the transit overlay and the commercial corridors. Compared to the magnitude of the housing crisis in Alameda in the Bay Area, uh, we're still proposing to do uh, relatively little to meet pressing needs in our most resource rich neighborhoods. This staff report is really right to lay out the importance of retaining the proposed height limits and densities for those key areas. Uh, at this point in the process, after the successful review by HCD, and I, sorry, I'm forgetting the number, 25 workshops, some impressive number like that, uh, nipping and tucking height limits and densities is, it's, it's, that time has passed. So please retain the proposed height limits and the densities for these important areas. Um, it is also considering worth considering some of the other parameters like rear setbacks, side setbacks, and lot coverage percentages. I, I don't think have gotten much reconsideration. So the you know these streetcar suburbs have so many out of compliance structures that actually define the such a nice walkable character. And it's about time to make those legal again, both for single family, multifamily and mixed use structures. So whether it's with this set of zoning amendment changes uh, or in future years when uh, everyone has a year's worth of progress to consider and actual results to consider of which of these programs have produced housing, um, housing units and which have not, uh, please do be ready to return to those parameters and um, uh, do further tuning uh, to allow for more types of structures to physically fit and to potentially pencil out to actually uh, be possible to pay for. Um, on that point of paying for all of this, uh, it is great to also see the housing element propose uh, planning for a local bond measure for affordable housing. Uh, it's housing crisis is so large and multifaceted that it's great to see the city considering multiple solutions in parallel. So thanks as always for your time. Thank you, next speaker. Okay, we have uh, Paul Foreman. Good evening. I must take issue with Mr. Thomas's statement that the ACT issue is about Measure A. Our Saturday letter admits that Measure A is in conflict with state law. The issue, the real issue, is what is needed to correct the conflict. The item in the Saturday ACT letter that I sent you that I wish to comment on is my letter to Paul McDougall attached to it. And his lack of a reply, together with his November 29th, 2021 letter to Mr. Thomas, a copy of which is attached to exhibit one of this evening's planning department report, 
In that letter, Mr. McDougall condemns Article 26 of our charter as being in conflict with state law, void and unenforceable. He then goes on to suggest toward the end of the letter as a solution, the upzoning of sites similar to our current multifamily overlay, specifically mentions it, and accompanied by additional and significant actions to address constraints on housing and affirmatively further fair housing. Nowhere in that letter does he state that upzoning the entire city is required to meet those goals. Mr. Thomas's insistence that upzoning the entire city is required without any citation to law requiring the same by either him or Mr. McDougall or the city manager for that matters, puts you in the position of being asked to make a decision tonight with no clear direction from HCD or the city attorney as to the correctness of Mr. Thomas's uh, uh, interpretation. However, if you have read my addendum to the act letter sent to you today, you know that you can delay approval of the proposed resolution until you get clear direction uh, without in any way risking any penalty whatsoever to the city. As you know from reading my addendum, the real deadline is May 31st, not January 31st. My conclusion from this is that your approval or rejection of tonight's resolution should be based on only one issue. Do you think the proposed housing element and zoning amendments represent a good land use plan for the city or not? If you believe they do, vote for the resolution. If you believe they need more adjustments, stay in the game and ask Mr. Thomas to deal another hand. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Okay, we have Christopher Buckley and he's provided us with a slide. Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. And uh, can we start the screen share, which relates to our proposal to require buildings that are over 30 feet high to have the extra height within the roof envelope in residential districts. And, you know, staff indicated that there's some buildings that uh, staff considers attractive that are, that have flat roofs and are more than 30 feet high. There are some that are arguably attractive, but there are a lot that aren't. And, it's, and this is one example. There's actually two examples, but the second one's similar to this. Uh, having pitched roofs on buildings like this would significantly reduce the visual bulk and allow them to fit in better with smaller buildings next to them. Um, this is one of the items we had in the letter that we sent you. I was gonna go over some of these others and also uh, try, try to respond to Director Thomas's uh, introductory statements tonight. Um, there's, some in, there's a number of inaccuracies in the staff report concerning what AAPS has been saying. Uh, the first thing is concerning program four uh, parts of the staff report suggests that APS recommends removal of all of program four. That's not correct. Program four is 14 components of which APS addressed only three. One, recommending removal of residential density increases in R3 and R6, uh, recommending removal of transit overlay um, waiver area, and three, 
reducing, not eliminating, reducing the proposed unlimited density within existing buildings to four regular dwelling units per parcel, plus ADUs, and could have any number of ADUs really. Um, so, and we believe that, that that last one, the unlimited density within existing buildings will be enough to meet fair housing requirements because that'll be available all around the city. The only component of program, that's the only component of program four identified to meet the arena. The first two components don't appear necessary to meet either the arena or the fair housing requirements. And as, I previous, as we previously mentioned, we're limiting, we're proposing limiting it, uh, the uh, units within existing buildings to, to four per parcel. So we don't trigger density bonus projects that could result in additions and to the existing buildings or new construction, which defeats the whole purpose of having them limited to existing buildings. Um, second, concerning Parks and Webster Street height limits. Report says we'd like to lower height limits on Park Street and Webster Street. The, our proposal is only for the historic portions. If you want outside historic portions, they could go higher. Uh, we're okay with, with 60 feet, they could be even higher. So we wanted to make that clarification. Uh, and then responding to a couple of uh, Mr. Thomas's introductory comments. Yeah, we, the, we haven't had any development under SB9, but we shouldn't allow nine months to determine what could happen in 10 years. Property ownership can change. You could get development-minded property owners, speculators buying things up. 10 years from now, the development game could really get going. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have Madeline Sodic. Good evening, planning board members, uh, city staff, and Director Thomas. My name is Madeline Sadek, and I'm the CEO and President of Alameda Chamber and Economic Alliance. I represent 11,780 workforce voices because we are the voice of the business community. And doing surveys and listening to all the employers, they're always looking for housing and transportation. So we would like to make sure that we request that you move this motion of the housing element to council so we can make sure we get it approved. I've been watching uh, Director Thomas working on it for two and a half years with everybody else. And I think it's time for us to move forward with that and get it done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh... Any other speakers? There are no more uh, public speakers at this time. Okay, that, this will close the public portion of this item. We'll now open it up for board uh, deliberation and motions. If you'd like to speak, please raise your hand. Uh, board member T. Uh, first, President Sahaba, I would like to divide the uh, action on this into two pieces, one for the housing element and one for the zone. Zoning, I, I make such a motion. I don't know if it needs to be a motion. I probably, we'll see whether or not majority wanna separate them into two different actions. And then I, I have other commentary. I second the motion. Okay, so we have a motion to split uh, this agenda item into two actions uh, with, um, Vice President Ruiz seconding that. Uh, yes, let's let's take a vote on that first. Um, you're, you're muted. Sure, sorry about that. Yes, uh, Board Member Riza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. 
Tom? Aye. Uh, Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. President Sahaba? Aye. And that carries unanimously. My second suggestion, President Sahaba, is that we start with a general motion to move forward with the recommendation of the city council and then move through a series of amendments that could be voted up or down uh, as each board member has changes that they uh, believe should be made so that they, in the end, we know which pieces were successful and they can make a vote on the end without having to do it independently. Did, did that make sense? Uh, I can give an example. Yeah. So, for example, I would say I would move that we recommend to the city council the resolution as it stands. That would be seconded. And then I would say I move to amend it such that we change the transit overlay in the following way. And then we would vote as to whether or not we change it in that way. And then after the different amendments have been voted on, then we vote on the resulting motion as amended. So the council is, um, we're-, we're it, It's a huge document. Right. And there are disparate changes that are not related to other pieces. Okay, Director Thomas. Uh, this we've dealt with in, in past meetings. Sometimes we've dealt with this kind of situation, and the way we did it, um, have done it in the past, is um, you take a, a motion to move the housing element up, to recommend the housing element up to the city council. What we did in the past is uh, then the full board votes on that. Then each board member has an opportunity to amend that resolution essentially so you know board member t could say i'd like to amend it by requiring you know request making this change um and then you the whole group gets to vote on that change if it passes then it goes forward with that amendment if it doesn't pass then that that adjustment doesn't happen um we just we need to have some i think what alan and i are both getting at is some way of each planning board member making a suggested change to the housing element or zoning, and then all seven of you getting an opportunity to vote on that change. If there's, if there's not a majority for that change, then it doesn't go up to council, the change. I think what, what, is, what is nice about this approach is it, if there is agreement among the seven to move it up to council, you presumably all unanimously vote for that. Um, the question is what amendments do you wanna do? And you may not agree on those. I wouldn't want to vote to move it to council as the first action. I would do a motion and amend the motion with a final motion to vote on the resulting change. Yeah, I understand that. So the, we're just making a motion right now, but the vote for what will actually be uh, transmitted to council will be a vote that happens at the end based on motion with amendments. Okay. 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 So, can can we start with the, the amendments instead? Sure. If you want to do go through a series of amendments first and then say make a motion with the amendments that passed, I'm okay with that too. 
you know, I, I actually like that approach better to first vote on the amendments and then vote on the housing element with the amendments that have received the majority of the commission, the board members endorsement. That works too. It's the same result, which is great. Okay, then I'm gonna start with thanking uh, staff for going through all the comments from us, city council, the public, and figuring out which ones go where, which ones don't go somewhere, and going through many, many revisions of this. Uh, and I appreciate the, the different stakeholders and public speakers for all of their comments. Um, and now is really the time for the planning board to take action and to decide what is or isn't in the housing element. Um, as I mentioned previously, I would move that we amend the transit oriented section very specifically to be the parcels on specified sections of high transit areas. For example, it would be transit-oriented parcels. So what we would do would be say, uh, exempt residential development on all residential zone parcels on, specify, on specific transit-oriented routes as specified in the zoning code from residential density and open space standards. New residential development will not be subject to maximum residential standards, Residential projects in the R1 through I should be R6, not R4, shall have at least, you know, within these shall have those restrictions. And then in the zoning, we would have all, all R1 through R6 parcels bordering Webster between the Posey Webster tunnels and Central Avenue, Santa Clara between Webster and Broadway, Park Street between Park Street Bridge and San Francisco Bay. Broadway between Santa Clara Avenue and Blanding Avenue, and Tillman between the Fruitvale Bridge and Park Street. I would say that we should add more than that, but that would be the minimal set as defined by um, the transit today. I mean, I would want to include Lincoln between Park and Webster, Buena Vista between Park and Webster, Encinal between Central and Broadway or Fernside, in Central Avenue between Webster and Encinal Avenue. Uh, ideally, we would include the large streets on Bay Farm Island, like Island Drive, Harbor Bay Parkway, Ron Cohen Parkway. There are any parcel, large parcels there, and that these larger streets uh, enable better transit to these areas and support larger density uh, in those areas. So if there is support for changing the, the transit oriented housing to be this type of thing, that is the motion that I would make. The second, do you wanna do one and then another or do you want me to give all of mine? I really only have two. Uh, why don't you get both? The other one, I have some small edits and stuff. Uh, by the way, uh, Alan and Andrew, on page 152, 
you have D0 for table, D2 distribution, you've duplicated page numbers, you have two complete D sections. This is a page numbering problem? Uh, yeah, you're labeling section. You have D1 through something and then you have D0 through D something. Right. They're completely- oh, it's a section, yeah. Okay. It's a section numbering thing. Gotcha. Um, the other thing is not actually in the housing element, which is basically I am going to propose that we restrict uh, development within existing structures to adding up to four units to whatever is existing. We should, I would like to start with the transit oriented uh, exemptions. So we, so we have a motion. second. Um, is, uh, do we have a second on that motion? And I guess um, the way that we would, I, I mean, right now it's been mapped out, correct? And what you're describing is to um, augment the map that's been- No, that's it's not to use a map. It's to specify, you could have a map which just lists these roads. Right. which would be if your parcel is on this road, then you are a transit-oriented parcel. Understood. Okay. So it's really um, the full and length as, of as we need to, we can add additional segments of road to expand the transit-oriented parcels in the future by changing the zoning. Okay. Um, Vice President Ruiz, you have a question. A question for um for Member Teague. So what you're saying is just the parcels directly fronting those streets, not a quarter mile, kind of like what the map that um, the planning department had produced, but it's only the, the parcel that touches those streets between the segment that you mentioned. That is correct. And you said, um, actually, Alan, would you mind showing that um, map again? So effectively, rather than the whole block, it would be more streets, but less the um, sphere of influence would be more concentrated. Yes. And okay. we would expand upon it and the future as needed. needed. And can you repeat the street names again, please? Uh, I believe it's, I would go Webster between the tunnel and Central Avenue, which is a little bit longer than what's there. Mm -hmm. but Santa again, Clara. Just the front streets, right? So it's not, basically, uh, it would only be parcels directly. It wouldn't expand all the way to Fifth Street, like. It would not. Got it. Okay. Uh, Santa Clara between Webster and Broadway. Which is currently shown. Yes. Park Street between Park Street and the Bay. Park Street Bridge in the Bay. Mm -hmm. Currently shown. Broadway between Santa Clara and Landing. Which is currently shown. And I have Tillman between Fruitvale and Park, which is extending it more than is there, but it continues that line. Okay, thank you. So that makes the area smaller. Yes. 
but I would recommend that we also include the four lane roads that we have in the island, like Lincoln between Park and Webster. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't recognize the Northern waterfront by doing Buena Vista between Park and Webster. Encinal between Central and Broadway and Central between Webster and Encinal. You also listed some roads on Bayfront, right? Not on this map. That, you know, I have to say my knowledge of the roads in Bay Farm Island is not as uh, detailed as the ones on the main island. So I, I, the, what are the large traffic enabled roads on Bay Farm Island? Those are the ones that I would think like Island Drive, Harbor Bay Parkway, Ron Cowan Parkway. Uh, I don't know, is McCartney Road actually a four lane road? Uh, yes, at, at points in in parts. Yeah, not not fully. So that was the one I I'm not sure of, and it's not clear that there are actually any residential parcels that border those. Yeah, that's why I'm not pushing those at the moment. You know, but I also would say we should include boat works, incidental terminals, and shipways. but that would be coming from the Buena Vista area. Okay, so I think it's understood there's... It's a framework. What, what actual roads we include is variable. The question is, is the framework something that a majority of the board would support? And then we can figure out which streets we want to include. But that framework is based on width of roads, not necessarily transit. No, no. Along it, the, the, the choosing of the variable was based on the road. The right. framework is not based on the road. It just says all R1 through R6 parcels bordering the following. Okay, I think that's understood. Uh, does anyone want to second that motion? Uh, I have a question. I have a question be, before you before we second it. And my question is, what is gained by by this over discretionary building along the overlay? And what's the advantage of, of this of this motion? Well, in my I think that a quarter mile is far too broad from a transit loop that it's covering much more than we should be covering. And it should be focused really on the areas that are directly transit uh, enabled. I'll second the motion. Okay, uh, uh, board member Hom, are you raising your hand a second or were you? Well, no, no, I, I was just want to ask a question. Okay. 
Okay, so this has been seconded. Now we're into discussion. Yeah. I, I guess part of my, my thinking is we've kind of evolved and talked a lot around what this transit overlay or waiver actually means. And we got away from a lot of the reasons. And it seemed to me, and this is for staff, that one of the main things with the transit waiver perhaps a higher height limit in some of the lower uh, residential districts. What else does a waiver allow for a parcel other than, you know, I, I think it also removes the, does it remove the, the maximum density also, right? That's right. What so else does it do? You want me to answer go that? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so um, in, in concept, the transit waiver really does two things. One, it's creating new housing opportunity um, by uh, having no cap on residential density. Mm -hmm. It also tries to facilitate the actual construction of the units by freeing up space on the site by doing a couple of things. One, um, it, it provides a guarantees a minimum 40 foot height limit. So this only really benefits the uh, uh, parcels within the R1, which is and R2, which is a height limit of 30 feet. Um, and the R3, R4 with the 35 feet, you get an additional five foot bonus. The third, uh, second thing it really does is um, it exempts uh, new units from the open space standards, which we found over the years to, yeah. to be a barrier. Okay. So those are really the key benefits of okay. the transit. Overall. So for the higher density areas, you know, where the, I mean, basically the, to me, the governing criteria is the height limit because you it's kind of like you can fit as many units as you want, but you still have this height limit. And that may only be advantageous for the the lower density areas where the height limit might be, you know, 30 or 35, and you're getting a bump up to 40. Um, and, and, and then to increase the number of units, certainly removing the open space helps, right? So, um, okay, it just to me, the, the allowances for the, the transit waiver are not that significant where personally, Myself, I don't have a problem with the quarter mile because if it was significantly more than what you just described, um, which I think what you described is, in my opinion, relatively modest. So my feeling is doesn't we don't need to be that restrictive. Plus, my preference is to focus on having transit the title be about promoting. Um, you know, opportunities are a little bit looser zoning standards when you're proximity to transit. And, you know, the definition of transit, which I think is way too wide, it typically is one half mile. And half mile would just be the entire island. So I think the quarter mile is already a more restrictive definition of transit proximate than, uh, than the, you know, standard definition. So, um, you know, I, I do want to hear from the rest of the board members, but at this point, I'm not comfortable with the uh, amendment being proposed. Okay, any other discussion from any board members on this amendment? Uh, board member Cisneros? Yeah, um, I uh, was gonna ask board member Teague to repeat his uh, second 
amendment when he has the opportunity. But um, I also I want to agree with Board Member Hom. It doesn't seem like it. I appreciate your, your clarification question, your response, um, Atlin, uh, because it seems like it wouldn't have a huge impact. Um, and I thought maybe we could do an eighth mile, but instead of a fourth mile, but again, it, it seems like from the explanation provided, um, it, a fourth, what we have now um, makes sense for the waiver. I did like the thought, um, and I had a couple comments related to how we're probably, how we could do more on the east side and um, Bay Farm. So the identifying some of the large roads I'm curious about incorporating that. Um, so those are those are my comments. Okay, um, board member Risa. Um, thank you. I I understand. I think I understand the kind of the objective that the board member Teague has with this change, kind of the lines. Um, Although I, I don't think I would agree with all the streets that that you're proposing, um, but I understand in general the idea. But I think that kind of would tie to my the amendment that I would want to propose, which is to have like a a maximum on the lot aggregation that you can do. Um, either way, in residential neighborhoods. I don't know what that is, if that's three or four or five or six, whatever it is, we can discuss it. But I think there, ideally we would have a maximum. Um, and I don't know, other than that, I, I think I like the idea of adding the main streets and not just being guided by the bus lines and having a quarter mile from the bus lines. I think defining the main streets that we feel uh, comfortable enough having uh, more multifamily uh, and more height uh, along those streets. Um, I like that idea. That's it. Okay. Um, well, I would say let's get through one motion before another one. Um, yeah, I have so. one bit of discussion on this. Okay. Part of the reasoning for why I was picking the wide streets is when you're talking about a 40 or 50 foot tall building next to a two four lane road is less oppressive than say on one of our smaller streets like the area of Willow between Central and, en and Encinal, uh, which is like one and a half lanes. And you get to 50, I mean, anybody's doing this will probably be able to get a density bonus and go to 50 feet. So the, uh, that's why I was trying to focus in on the areas that are directly adjacent to wide street. And that was really the major driver for this. So thanks. Okay, I understand. All right, any, any other discussion on this before we vote on this motion? Um, Alan, uh, if we could do a vote, please. 
Sure, uh, Board Member Ariza. Nay. Uh, Cisneros? Uh, nay. Curtis? Aye. Hong? Nay. Ruiz? Aye. Uh, Board Member Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Nay. So that motion fails five to two. Thank you. Okay, Board Member T, you had a second motion. I'm going through my notes. Uh, there's just a, a collection on page 20. Um, I would like to add explore reducing development constraints such as height and setbacks. This is on program five for accessory dwelling units is to add an additional bullet. In regards to program seven, uh, we, it specifically says modifying it to eliminate or lessen the 7%. And I would want to change that to be consider modifications to alter the percentages for each level of required units, not restricting it to the specific things that are specified there. And that as part of program 13, uh, fair housing outreach, I would want to add, distribute clear actionable information on tenant projections, protections to all landlords and tenants. And that ties in to on page 165, the chart about displacement risk due to wrongful eviction, that we change shortage of tenant protections to awareness of tenant protections, you know, it's lack of landlord and tenant knowledge that we're dealing with here. And it's covered in program 13, provide the clear actionable information for landlords and tenants, program 13. Um, and on page 170, the TCACHCD uh, diagram needs to be updated to reflect the one they had earlier. And those were just a, a small collection of just clarifying and adding, um, if anyone would like me. That's, that's all I have for the housing element. The, as far as I can tell, the housing element does not specify the number of units that we are uh, going to allow in existing buildings. We say we want people to use existing buildings because it's good, but we don't say unlimited in any place. That's all covered in the zoning instead. Um, or member, huh? You have your hand raised. Yeah, just, just I, I think I caught everything you said. Uh, Alan, can you repeat what amendment it was that you wanted regarding program seven? I don't think I quit. That was the second item you mentioned. Program seven is instead of, well, there's a typo. It should say for all projects, five plus units, mm -hmm. not over five units. Uh, consider modifications to the ordinance, strike the remainder of that sentence to be to consider modifications to the ordinance to alter the percentages for each level of required units. 
which could be exactly what's written there, but it's not going to tie our hands and say, well, that's what we said. It's going to be to lessen or eliminate the 7%. And it's like, I, I have other ideas than that. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, is there a second on that motion? I guess of a collection of items that Alan ran through. I, I, I'll, I'll second that motion. Would you like a roll call vote? If there's no more discussion, yes. Let's go ahead and do it. Board member Risa? Aye. Uh, Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hong? Aye. Uh, Rees? Aye. Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Alan, did you need me to go over those one more time? Yes, yes please. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Just one more time. Which page number and just the okay. program? Uh, do you want the page or the PDF or the number at the bottom of the page? I. Uh, Either one page, or just the page program. 19, program four. No, no, sorry, that's the wrong one. Just, just uh, maybe just go by program. Program five, page 20. Okay. Add a bullet called Explore Reducing Development Constraints Such as Height and Setbacks. This is for ADUs. For ADUs. Okay. Pro program seven, page 22. Uh, Get, get rid of the over five plus units and change it to be five plus, I mean, over five units to be five plus units and strike from to lessen or eliminate through the end of the sentence and replace it with to alter the percentages for each level of required units. Yep. And then on page 28, program 13 at the End of the paragraph for fair housing outreach. We add distribute clear actionable information on tenant protections to all landlords and tenants. Clear actionable information info to all. Okay. And then on D13 in the table D3. Uh, change the words shortage to awareness. And change lack of landlord to lack of landlord and tenant. And then add a bullet under actions, which is provide clear actionable information to landlords and tenants program 13. It seems that's how we do things. Did you get that? Yep. And then on E2, update the diagram to match that beautiful one you updated earlier. Oh, that's the uh, opportunity area map? Yeah, the, the, so we can see the island? Yeah, yeah. You have a great version of it. I appreciate it. Yeah, we, we updated the one at the beginning. We just did the same yeah, map. I yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate it. 
And I have one general comment on F2 where you talk about the pricing. Uh, there's no way you're building a 10 unit building for $1.3 million. Just uh, that's so incredulous. I don't, I don't care where you got the numbers. If we could do that, that would be awesome. Thanks. And I'm not talking about the zoning stuff as that's a separate item. Thank you, everybody. Okay, thank you. Uh, are there any other board members who wanna um, propose amendments? Oh, uh, board member Risa. Oops. You're muted. This is where I needed to add my proposed amendment of adding a maximum of lot aggregation in residential districts. Um, but that's what I would like to propose that we define a number of lots, a maximum number of lots that can be aggregated in residential neighborhoods. Um, I don't know what the rationale would be to determine that exactly beyond, I mean, for me, it's more to keep the city like um, at the scale of the scale of the pedestrian. So, and to avoid having developments that cover a whole block, for example, because I think that's just not the right scale for Alameda or in my view, um, if we're trying to preserve some of the character while we are releasing, um, uh, doing upzoning and um, changing some of the height uh, limitations and density limitations. At the same time, I think it would be good to provide some, at least some restrictions so that it doesn't go crazy. Um, not to say that that's gonna happen this year or next year, but it could happen in five or 10 years, I don't know. Uh, Greg Thomas, you have your hand raised. Yeah, that's interesting, really interesting thought, um, Board Member Riza. To be honest with you, this was a program that we developed with the Planning Board, you know, over the last um, six months. Um, it was never intended, and I don't think we ever thought about, frankly, the idea of of, of people buying up a whole number of lots. Um, and, and the intent was really to try to give individual property owners some ability to add housing on their own lot. So, um, and that's the way we described it to HCD as well. Um, so I, I, when I, I struggle to even think about what that number should be. And what I immediately think is we add a provision to say this, this is a waiver that you are eligible for if you meet certain criteria. One of the criteria is you have to be within a quarter mile. I think the other thing we could easily add is if, if this, this waiver is not available, if you're accumulating properties, like if, if you're merging more, if you're merging the neighboring property with your property to do this, then you're not eligible for it. I, I my sense, I mean, once again, I keep thinking like, look, we will know in a year a lot more than we know now. Um, I would, I think a, a safer move would be to have a prohibition on, on merging lots 
and see what happens over the next year. If, mm. if we come back in a year and say, hey, we, we denied three projects because they were merging lots, then the planning board can kind of go, oh, wow, that was, that was a missed opportunity. Um, but, you know, I, mean, I, I don't I know guess, how you come up with that. I guess, number. you know, the way I think about it is for developers, how does it make sense to, to do these kinds of projects, multifamily projects? it makes sense on larger lots. It just makes more financial sense than in smaller lots. So from, from a developer standpoint, if you put your developer hat on, um, even if you just buy one house today and then you know the next house is for sale tomorrow, and then the other one in three years, and then you have three houses, and then you decide, well, I have these three houses I want to, you know, now I want to do this big building that allows me to do whatever, five stories. Um, I don't know, maybe that's okay. Maybe we're okay with three lots, but I think that it's possible that it could happen. Um, I don't think it's impossible. And and that's kind of where I'm going with the request. But, but I get what you're saying, Andrew, and maybe that's a better approach. I'm not sure. I mean, what, what, what we would be doing is we'd be adding a limitation on the number of mm -hmm. parcels that could be merged mm -hmm. for the purposes of redeveloping. So the number could yeah. be two, it could be three, it could be four, I mean, it, or it could be zero. Um, you know, it's, it's really up to the board. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear what other members um, think about it. I think that, um, one has to also think about it in the context of parcel sizes because they're not all equal. So a quantity yeah. may be the right way to look at it, but this, the size of you know actual acreage or, mm. uh, would would be the one one. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about so, residential neighborhoods, so kind of like the the standard lots, or some some parcels are double lots. Right, right. Well, like you see on Fernside, where there's deep lots that go back towards the water, right? And people have built houses behind houses. So um, I don't know if they've done split lots or they've just built, you know, ancillary homes. Um, okay, well, let, I guess there's more discussion on this topic, uh, board member home. Okay, yeah, just um, a couple questions. Um, I understand um, the motivation behind it. It seems to me kind of like, just as uh, what President Sahaba said, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there's the desire to kind of keep the scale of the projects manageable so that you, know, you don't have someone developing an entire block or something. So if that's the case, it seems like maybe the, if we want to go this direction, the more appropriate is 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 maximum you know developable lot size or something like that, which some cities do, or some cities actually have a minimum developable lot size. But it sounds like that's what you're getting at. That if there's a small yes. parcel, yes. you would have like we, we currently have a, a minimum but not a maximum. Yeah. Um, so that's if to me, if that's the intent, I would say is really the lot size that's more appropriate. And then I thought, and staff correct me if I'm wrong, I, it, I think where this becomes more prominent of an issue is in the single family or R2 district, 
doesn't SB9 have restrictions on how many successive lot mergers that you can uh, do to kind of prevent what it, what board member Ariza is saying is, I seem to recall there's something about, you know, you can't merge, you can merge a lot, but you can't do it, you know, at least it has to be at least 12 months apart or two years apart or something. And because there's there, I know there's a concern in state legislator of exactly what was being discussed that someone will want to come in and buy up, you know, entire block or something and the state law, put some provisions that put impediments or put barriers for that to happen. That's that's right. right. SB9 does have that. We could model uh, something similar for the transit overlay. Yeah, I, I would add that um, under the SB9 situation, it's a limitation on lot splits and that um, if you're already engaged in the lot split, you can't further split the lot. But I think this is a situation where if you're merging lots, somebody could potentially merge a lot now and then come in five years later to to but, to do a new development. But but and I think that's where, you know, in, in these R districts, um, they're typically characterized by older neighborhoods, older homes that are protected um, from our preservation ordinance. So if somebody were to uh, merge the lots with an intention of demolishing them, then they would have to first go through the discretionary process for mm -hmm. um, a certificate of approval. So I I see that as our primary control against the speculative um, demolition. Yeah, and obviously SB nine doesn't apply to the multifamily, um, but right. just just anyway. So that, that was just really my question. Thank you, Alan, for that clarification. Vice President Reese. My first reaction with uh, with the um, board member Reese's um, suggestion is. I mean, we have annual review of housing element where we need to make suggestions. We have a housing shortage. So I'm hesitant on choking it further right out the gate. And same thing with the other um, community comments on retail. Feel like, you know, we need to at least let it have a run first for one year and see where it goes and how it affects um, what kind of application we're getting and then we can fine tune and adjust accordingly. Uh, as long as, um, actually this is a question for Director Thomas, are we getting a lot of SB 330 applications? No. No, okay. Not uh, a lot, no. I, I know um, for those who don't know, SB 330 application basically saying a developer, once they file the SB 30, 330 application, um, local jurisdiction cannot, um, pass any law to restrict the development after that application has gone in. So given that we're not getting a lot of it, um, I mean, within one year frame, I feel like we can fine tune in later. That's my suggestion. Especially at the moment, we don't know what that language would be. There's no motion on the table of the specifics. I think the maximum lot size seems to be the most reasonable way to frame it. Well, it's hard because it's going to be case by case. And I think that if maybe what we can insert is something that um, triggers design review, if a lot merger occurs, then um, 
you know, and, and the developments coming forward based on that, then, you know, it automatically triggers a design review, which then we could figure out the sensitivity or not of what is being proposed and the location of it. Is that something that seems reasonable, Andrew? Well, I think, I mean, the scenario we're describing is somebody buying up a bunch of lots and then tearing a bunch of buildings down, I think, is what the concern is. And I think Alan's issue is, Alan's point is the probably the most legitimate one. You probably don't even need to put in a trigger for design review because there's going to be, there's already a built-in trigger of a certificate of approval to tear down those buildings. That's a discretionary permit. That's a discretionary review. So there's going to be a whole lot of conversations that are going to be going on in public forums about whether this is a good idea or not. Um, I think, you know, back to Commissioner Ruiz's point, and it's only going to take one of those applications for us to start thinking like, okay, we need to make some adjustments if we think this is, you know, this is going to be happening on a regular basis. Um, you know, we have not seen anything. I mean, there was a lot of fear about SB9 that people would come in and start buying up properties to do SB9 projects. We just haven't seen that. I mean, our overall impression is that people in Alameda like their property and don't necessarily want to sell um, just to make a, extra money. Um, so I, I'm, you know, uh, I think there are going to be discretionary permits that are going to be required for that kind of project. Um, so I kind of think you have your safeguards in place. Um, I thought those um, demolitions were specific to historic buildings, not any. Type. Well, we're talking, I mean, you saw that map, like almost every property is, I mean, in Alameda pre-1942 triggers a certificate of approval. So, you know, it's, it's hard to drive down the most of those streets and find buildings that are not pre-1942. Um, but um, no, you're right. If it's a 1960s, home that wouldn't trigger a certificate of approval. You're, you're absolutely right, um, President Sahaba. Um, I think the, you know, it comes down to some sort of trigger that says if you're merging properties, then it triggers, you know, we could do something along the lines that, you know, if you're going to merge properties, then that merge, you know, for the purposes of redeveloping the properties under the transit overlay that it, it triggers planning board review. I mean, that's, you know, that, yeah, yeah, something could, along those lines. Yeah, I could see a scenario where um, some folks merge properties, but still do individual, let's say structures, but merge them so they could share infrastructure, which would reduce the overall cost of building that. Yeah, it might be but perfectly fine. Be sensitive to the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah so. it could be fine. It could be fine. I mean, there's different ways to approach it. So, although I would caution that the um, state under state law, the subdivision map act, uh, a lot merger that falls within, uh, you know, a lot line adjustment. I mean, those are um, typically uh, ministerial actions. But I think, Alan, what we could but, do though is it's we could put a provision in the multifamily mm -hmm. overlay, which basically said, not the multifamily overlay, the transit. 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 provision that says hey you know you get to, just where now it says you know you if you meet these criteria within a quarter mile you get this this and this 
we could put in a provision that says, but you know, in the event that you want to merge the properties, then, then you're not benefiting from the. Then reverse. you you don't benefit from this unless you go to the planning board to review the project. You know, something along those lines, just so there's just a little a check in for those kinds of projects. But you're absolutely right. If I mean somebody can come in tomorrow and merge two properties that they own next door to each other without going to the planning board. I mean. And, and that would be the loophole. Somebody buys up three properties. They just come into city hall and say, I want to merge. Has nothing to do with the transit overlay. I just want to merge. We can't, that's Alan's point. We can't stop them from merging. Sure. Okay. Um, board member Curtis. Thank you. Um, you know, to to um, board member Arisa's point in Southern California, when I was down there, there was a lot of little houses um, in an area that they were redeveloping where they couldn't build anything to scale that provided the number of units. And merging a couple of lots or even three lots um, gave you the economies of scale to build the units that they needed down there. And I think that the... Uh, Commissioner Arisa, or board member Arisa's uh, suggestion is a good one. I think that that somehow we could put that in there, um, limiting either or uh, the number of feet of, of frontage on the lot or the number of lots to do that. If you want to build houses, you got to get the cost down. And the only way you're going to get the cost down is have a piece of property that's big enough to build something to scale that looks good and provides a unit. And you know, I think she's right on. Okay, uh, thank you, Board Member Hahn. Yeah, just just kind of a kind of get on a subdivision map map question. Um, I mean, my experience is that when someone comes in and they want to merge a lot of parcels together, there's usually other issues that come into play, such that it triggers a tentative map. Um, does does the city subdivision map ordinance allow someone to just merge an unlimited number of parcels? Because um, I think in some jurisdictions, you know, there's whether it's formal, but there's certain things that once you get very complicated lot merger, it kind of triggers a tentative map instead, which is a discretionary review. I yeah, just it's... kind of wonder how, what the what the practice is in Alameda for. Or merging multiple lots, yeah. Merging, so, merging multiple lots. The, so the, the subdivision map act, in other words, has if you want to merge more than four lots, it, it triggers the discretion. Triggers a different process of yeah. discretionary. Yeah, it's not over the counter anymore. It's yeah. so I it's, wonder it's if that might is. I mean, it doesn't deal with the maximum lot size, but I wonder if that control is sufficient to. Um, you know, get at uh, what board member Lisa is trying to achieve. So, yeah, maybe it's, it's four in any area, in any zone. Yeah, the, the, you know, the MAP Act allows for merging of properties, um, but it's on, in, in our code, 
you can use that process. It's for rel relatively simple. It has to be signed off by the city engineer and the planning director, and it's a relatively straightforward process. But if you're if you're merging more than four properties, then it it it's no longer something that can be done through that process. It has to be done through the normal parcel map process, which is public hearings at the planning board and and city council. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It, it sounds like there's basically a couple of barriers, the, the demolition restrictions and then the parcel map. So that's good to know. I think, um, I think that sounds good. Okay, so is there any amendments from this or are we just relying on existing um, code to, to deal with this? I think you're relying on existing code to deal with this. Okay, great. Is there any other um, amendments, uh, board members and Yeah. Yeah. Um... I thought this would have been part of the zoning discussion, but it's related to the transit overlay waiver. Um, it's the comment, um, the written comment from the housing element working group of um, revisiting the R1s within the zoning overlay, having their, uh, their setbacks and maximum overall lot coverage match the ADU. Um, should we talk about that now or uh, put a pin on it for the for the zoning component? Uh, I think we can we we can probably talk about it in the zoning. I would say because um, yeah, I think okay. it's it to that. Okay. Uh, and then my other comment was, I, I didn't think of bringing this up earlier um, as a discussion, but for the housing element goal three, end and prevent homelessness is an Alameda. Um, I feel like that's a pretty bold commitment to say end homelessness in Alameda. And the language I've heard more recently is achieving functional zero or making homelessness rare and brief. Um, I know city of Alameda has um, done um, a lot of work putting together a homeless strategic plan um, and think about homelessness in the city. So those goals are defined. So I was, wondering um, how folks felt about revising that language. And does anyone have any concerns to revising the language? Or um, was there anything, Andrew or Alan, that was we certainly can revise that language. This is a goal statement in the policy section. Um, it is bold, um, but you know we had originally proposed it as part of the housing element just because we felt 
you know, the issue of homelessness was just such a huge issue and we felt a bold statement, but, you know, it's certainly something that if there's alternate language you would prefer to use, we certainly can make that change. Okay, so um, board members, your motion was to amend this language to, to state, could you, could you just restate that? Uh, achieve functional zero, um, and I, I don't have the exact language, but achieve functional zero um, in homelessness and prevent homelessness in Alameda. Or it could be prevent homelessness and make homelessness rare and brief. I, I again, I just feel like it's such a um, overcommitment, um, and it's a very uh, serious issue. So, um, yeah, I I just feel like this language is um, more grounded. Um, Okay, I think that's uh, what, is there a second to the motion for changing this goal? No, no seconds. I guess the goal is, <laughs> is direct enough at the moment. Um, mm -hmm and aspirational of course okay so okay. i think we'll 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 stay there with that um all right are we done with the housing element portion and moving on to the zoning uh, or remember don't, don't don't we need to we need to vote prove a motion to uh, uh, recommend approval oh, yes. agreement with yeah. the amendment with the amendment approved earlier by yeah. board member Teague. Yeah, because that's we the case. It. I'll yeah. I'll offer that motion. Uh, board member Teague. Board member Hong, you, you should probably in your motion say that you are recommending the city council adopt the general plan amendment to update the housing element. Okay. Strike yeah. everything else out from the resolution that isn't related to the housing element specifically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Thank you, Commissioner Teague. Yeah, just to be clear, adopt the you know housing element for for a section of for the general plan, um, and just that. So that you're going to have to fight up the rental. So I'll leave yep. that to staff. Plus, I guess we should really um, in, endorse also the CEQA finding. Yep. or uh, adoption of the of the um, housing element portion of the general plan. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I second. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Alan, let's have a vote. I, I have commentary. Oh, there's commentary. So is there is there commentary? Me. Oh, you have commentary. Okay. Yes. Okay. That you seconded. Okay. I, I did second it, but uh, I wanted to point out to the community and to thank staff and 
whoever else worked on the whereas's and the therefores and stuff and that you danced the line of measure A uh, and that all of the items that are listed here are factual items and not findings of measure A is not valid. And I appreciate that because that will allow me to vote for this. Okay, great. Okay, Alan, let's let's take a vote. Sure, board member Ariza. Aye. Uh, Cisneros. Aye. Curtis. Aye. Han. Aye. Ruiz. Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Sahaba. Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you, planning board. Okay, there was um, another motion, right, for the amendments. Uh, uh, board member T. Uh, I have a collection like I did before and then one significant change. I consider it significant. Um, I'll start with that. On page 86, I would like to amend it. This is the adaptive reuse residential density waiver uh, to support and encourage construction of new housing units within existing buildings, additions of one to four additional dwelling units within existing buildings, blah, 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 as opposed to one or more. It's one to four. And the reason for doing that is if we get people coming and going, oh, really, I wanted to do six or seven or five, then we want staff to come and tell us. We actually have people who are saying that. I don't believe we're going to be getting those. And when someone goes from four to five, they go from residential to commercial. It's a big step. They also can do ADUs, which are not restricted by this. So they could do the four, so they'd be five units plus ADUs. So I, I think it still is a very large number of units that can be done. Okay, was, was that everything, Hal? Uh, I have that collection of small changes, but okay. this is the only one of sub substance. Okay. Is there any? Um, Do I get a second? There's a second. Second. Okay. Board member Curtis, second. Uh, any other um, commentary or discussion? Uh, oh, board member Hong. Qualifying question, Board Member T. So that means that, regardless of the size of the structure, uh, they're they're limited to four. If they can get, so can they? If they want to propose more than four, then you're saying that it is possible, but it's a discretionary process. If they want more than four, they would add ADUs. 
Okay. So they could do four units plus, so four, four ADUs, so they could get up to nine. Okay, so the only way they can exceed four units if they do ADUs. I, I guess the question is, what if you have a pretty large building that you might want to I, You know, add? that represents a small number of parcels versus the number of parcels that could be divided into quads or triplexes. So, okay. so you're thinking that is kind of a, would be a rare situation that. Yes, it's so like the two acre parcel in the R1. Mm -hmm. It's a rare situation. Okay. All right, thanks for explaining. Uh, Director Thomas. Yeah, I just, um, this provision applies to all zoning districts, not just residential. Um, so we do need to be thinking about all, I mean, what, what immediately strikes me is if you're in a non-residential district and your zoning allows five or six units, then you are encouraging people to come in and tear down their building because you're saying you can only do four in the building. Because um, the only way to get to six is by just going through the normal development process. If, you're, if your density allows you to do six because you have a big parcel, then we're basically saying if you, I mean, it just, it's counter to the whole intent of that, which is we wanted to get people to build more units, but we didn't want them tearing down buildings. So we wanted to maintain existing buildings. And I'm just, I'm worried that there's a counter sort of a unintended consequence. You know, it, the, the limiting it at four is because everybody's so worried about density bonuses. Um, that's what the issue is. It's like, we're worried that somebody would ask for a density bonus, meaning they want five. And meaning they would add us, you know, an addition on the roof. Um, if they in fact want to get to five units or six units, two things happen. They either have to tear down the building to get there. And there's nothing wrong with doing five units. When you trigger, when you get to five units, you start doing inclusionary, you start doing deed restricted units. So that's why staff recommended against the four, the limit on four. Um, I would be willing to take an amendment from staff to do the addition of one to four in the R1 to R6 districts and one or more in other districts hmm. in order to cover the case that you just specified. Uh, Director Thomas. I mean, so I I think the, the only question is, is there any relief for somebody who says, I want to do five in my building? Yeah, they, I mean, they tell staff they really, you mean in the residential? No, there is not. And, and the issue is, President Sahaba, I, Director Thomas isn't on the board. I will, I will. No, no, I, yeah, no, I understand that. I just thought he wanted to respond to your comment, so. But I am willing to make the change because he is pointing out a very valid hole in terms of like on Park Street, which is not an R1, that someone may have a building that they could do six or seven or 10 units if they wanted to. And people have asked about doing that. And we should allow that in those buildings. It's in the residential area that I want to 
do the the one to four. Okay, I think that's clear. Um, is there a second to that proposal? I second it. Uh, board member Curtis. I second. You second it. Okay. Any other discussion on this? Um, I see board member Hum raised his hand. I was wondering. I was just wondering, just just to throw out a suggestion to board member T. I realize uh, we're probably talking about very small number of parcels that are large enough where the issue of doing adaptive reuse for more than four units in a residential structure may not be applicable. So, so, but could we include something that allows for discretional review of where of the four, where someone might be feasible to do five units or more so that it's not automatic, but it's those most rare situations where it might, might be applicable or where we may not have an objection to it. So, I, I would be willing to accept a discretionary review for more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would probably take care of my concern. Yeah, I would agree to that too, because uh, I mean, I even lived in a that converted to five units um, with, with, you know, slight addition, but it was still keeping within the uh, the context of the neighborhood on, on on the island. So, yeah, I think discretionary view should allow for um, flexibility there, if if it makes sense. Okay, so then the limitations are one to four in the residential, one or more elsewhere, and with discretionary view could be more than four in residential. Okay. Uh, well, I'll second that. Well, you, <laughs> board member Curtis already, already seconded it. So any other discussion? No. All right. Um, Alan, do you want to take a vote? Sure. Um, board member Riza? Why? Uh, Cisneros? Board member Cisneros? I think she's I think first. She's, oh. I. Aye. Okay. Uh, Curtis? Aye. Um, Aye. Uh, Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. And Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Okay, and here's a collection of small changes. So on page four, clarify that a dwelling unit is designated for use as a residence. That's not have the home or residence. Strike the word facility on shared living, independent kitchen. Let's not add a new word. Uh, there, I don't know what's going on with the R1 in multifamily. That needs to be fixed. And I don't know if that means that we continue this and they bring it back when it's fixed, but somehow that should be fixed. I can I can address that. I had a chance to take a look at that, and also want to okay. thank Brian McGuire, um, a staff who's actually on the attendees list. Um, so in the R one, um, the reason why we struck multifamily is because 
um, to multifamily in Alameda is defined as three units or more. And to be able to build multifamily in the R1, you must only rely on either the transit waiver, uh, ADUs. Um, there's, there's only limited ways. So you don't get to do, uh, you're not able to do build a multifamily three units or more um, by right in the R1. So um, we had deliberately deli uh, deleted that. Okay, so what you do is you build a big house with room for five units, and then you add four. So, okay, so we just make them have to jump through a hoop. That might be one way of getting there, but um, that okay. was, yeah. Then I'm, I'm not gonna include that change in my collection. Uh, on uh, page 87, uh, there's a missing that modifications to the exterior building that are not exempt. Uh, page 87, there's a missing that. Uh, and it could be that I get this, this one may be considered substantial by board members and if they would like it to not be here, uh, which is on page 99, talking about ADUs. I strongly believe that we should not restrict ADUs to only areas that are not habitable. I think we should just strike that are not used as habitable space. So if someone wants to divide a unit, into two, one, and basically have a smaller unit and have an ADU, we should allow them to do that. If there's objection from some board members, we could do that as a separate thing. But those are the my collection. Any board members have discussion or second this motion? Um, Board Member Curtis, do we need a sec? Do we need a second on this? Basically, they're correction of of typos on the thing, isn't it? Well, Andrew, the, do we need a second? The, the nap that that are not used as habitable space is not a yeah correction. Maybe we take the um, separately. Yeah. Okay. So if all those rest are considered typos, I'm fine with that. So then I would say, I think that we should allow EDUs to be developed within an existing building, independent of the space being used as habitable or not habitable, which is basically striking on page 99, the phrase that are not used as habitable space. Okay, um, Director Thomas, you have a clarification. Just a quick question, um, it just struck me. Back to the adaptive reuse. Are we saying you can do up to four units and then unlimited ADUs? Because we're talking about the same thing here. We're talking about existing buildings where right now we're discussing you should be able to do unlimited ADUs and not be limited to non-habitable space, which means basically the envelope of the building is available to you. But we just had a conversation saying we wanted to stop the units at four. Yeah. ADUs are not unlimited. So you want to do, so back to the adaptive. No, no, I'm just saying that you can build an ADU using habitable. No, I, I totally get it. But when we go to council with the no more than four units, 
Did you intend that to mean no more than four units plus as many ADUs as you want? As many ADUs as you are allowed to build. You, the ADU thing has a limit on how many ADUs. As I said, you could get up, up to nine. Okay, I just wanted to be clear. Okay, all right, I'll, that's how- The we'll, advantage of ADUs is they're for rent. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get you, I get you. We just need to make that clear to council what you actually are recommending. Yeah, this, so, is, this is independent of that though. This is, it's... I have a giant parlor. I have two giant parlors that I don't need because I have three giant parlors. Why can't I convert two parlors into a unit, an ADU? Today, you cannot. Right. So board member T, just to clarify, in the ADU provision that we're looking at right now, it says any number of ADUs in areas that are not habitable space. So if we remove uh, the limitation to have a little space, then it would be any number of ADUs. Which means when you do adaptive reuse of a building and you have a four large parlors, you can do as many ADUs as you want, which defeats the purpose of, I think, defeats the purpose of capping it at four. Not really, because the ADUs are rental, not for sale. They, they can never be sold independently. And so you are dictating that they are creating rental units, small rental units that are affordable as a result. Okay. I like affordable, don't you? No, I, I just wanna understand yeah. how these the two other ones may not be affordable. So, uh, and, and thank you for pointing that out. Um, but I, I, I still think it should be in any space, not just the not, not habitable space. But maybe my fellow board members don't agree, which is fine. Yeah, I think with the different scale of um, homes and lot sizes, uh, this would allow a bit more flexibility on where the ADU goes as long as you could create the infrastructure and parameters around what an ADU is. So uh, yeah, I would, I would second this motion. I think it makes sense for creating flexibility. Is there any other discussion? Okay, well, we have a motion, we have a second. Uh, why don't we take a vote? Board Member Ariza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hong? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. And President Sahaba? Aye. That motion passes unanimously. Okay, uh, what's, what are we done with this piece of the agenda or was there anything else? 
it depends on if anyone else has amendments and then we would need to move forward with uh, recommending to city council the amended versions. Okay. Is there any other amendments from the board? No? Okay. Well, let's move. Oh, sorry, board members this knows. Um, yeah, this was uh, the housing element working group comment about the R1s and the transit overlay. Just um, wanted to bring it up for the board's consideration, aligning that with um, the ADU uh, requirements. So um, I think right now it's like five foot side yard, uh, side yard setbacks. Um, I think it's 48% max overall coverage. Um, yeah, I'm just curious if how, what folks think about the recommendation. Uh, board member T. I, I read through the recommendation and, and I'm firmly on the fence on it. I'm kind of like, I, we have made so many changes to try to encourage development of housing. Uh, and I really want to encourage the development of ADUs because that's going to tend to develop the most affordable housing, um, especially when we somehow get the substantial rehabilitation money being able to be used for it. That I, I think I would take a wait and see what happens and you know have that in our pocket to do um, when we find that it is indeed a constraint you know people are bringing us projects and they go well i want to do it but i but i can't so i would not at this time want to move forward with that okay any other comments on that specifically Okay, then why don't we take a vote on what's been, um, what we've gone through for the zoning amendments. Uh, oh, sorry, board member Hong, you have your hand raised? Yeah, I, I don't wanna propose a zoning amendment, but I just wanted to comment on one item that I think I brought up and I saw that uh, the uh, Alameda Architectural Preservation Society was was um, described in their latest letter. This has to do with doing a kind of a sloped roof element for, and for me, it was more for the lower density uh, districts rather than for the higher density districts. I think it's more relevant. Um, I actually agree with, with, with staff's suggestion that it might be best not to include it as a zoning code amendment. However, I, I do think that incorporating provisions about slope groups in the kind of objective design standards or residential design standard as staff um, recommended uh, would do the same thing. And it kind of actually ties it more into the context of a particular neighborhood or a block. So if there's a particular street where you know, you do a significant number of like slope roofs, like you see mainly like single family neighborhoods or, or duplex neighborhoods that 
that that standard would be more applicable. So I do support um, not having it as a zoning code amendment, but uh, taking a look at it in the design standards. I don't think that requires any kind of emotion other than just my comment that I agree with the staff recommendation on that approach. So next time we kind of revisit the objective design standards or residential design standards, that would be a good uh, item to address. Okay, Vice um, President Ruiz. Um, thank you, Board Member Hong, for bringing that up. And yes, we should address it next time when it comes through, but just a caution to a real life practice as a building gets beyond um, 60 feet in height. Um, we need to provide exterior building maintenance equipment for window washing and facade maintenance. So by having slope roof, those equipments are extremely difficult to install. Okay. Okay, now should we, um, any other comments? Um, we're, we're missing board member Curtis, I think. Uh, let's see, I guess we, um, we can <laughs> take a vote and see where it lands and if we need board member Curtis to, to be present. I, I, I move that we recommend to the city council the zoning text amendments as amended with a thoroughly revised resolution that covers just the zoning text amendment mm -hmm. and not the other pieces as described. And can I just clarify, we have the change to the adaptive reuse and we have the change to the ADU and then we have the, the typos that you mentioned. Yeah, did you get all of those? Yes. Was, did you get them out? Good. I have them, right. I got the two main ones. I have notes for the other one. The biggest one is kitchen facilities. Right. Just so there's no yep. confusion there. Yeah, that's good. Okay. There's Ron. Yeah. Uh, is there a second? I'll second it. Okay. So we have a motion and a second. Alan, let's take a vote. Board member Ariza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Uh, Curtis? Aye. Han? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Sahaba. Aye. That motion carries unanimously. Thank you, Planning Board. It was Thank a long you. haul. It's two years of work. We really appreciate it on behalf of staff for everything you've done on this. Um, we will have this council on November 15th. Um, at your next meeting, we will be bringing the there's, you know, seven specific sites that are outlined in the, in the housing element for zoning changes. The four shopping centers with the overlay, and then there's three other sites that are in the housing element um, that need rezoning. So we've just, we've noticed that for October 10th. Um, and uh, 
November 15th is we're aiming for council if we can get pull everything together in time. And we'll pass, we'll, we'll make these adjustments and get it up to them. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next agenda item, minutes. Uh, we have four meeting minutes. I recommend we group these together so we could um, review them, open it up for public discussion, and then we can, we'll, we'll vote individually on each item after public discussion closes. Uh, so are there any comments, or sorry, any well, I guess not comments necessarily, but questions on any of these minutes before we open it up for public review? No? Okay, let's open it up for public review. If the public has any comments on these draft meeting minutes, please raise your hand. Uh, anyone? So far, no raised hands. Okay, we'll close that. Okay, now we'll go to um, discussion and motions. Let's take them one at a time. So we'll start with uh, the meeting minutes from May 23rd, 2022. Uh, does anyone have any uh, corrections or comments? Uh, board members, sisters? Yeah, um, uh, this, I did mention that um, my desire to rephrase goal number three and this, the meeting minutes mention it here. So um, just feel like it's important to elevate that, that this is something I feel strongly a lot about. I've been feeling strongly about, I've been doing a lot of, um, you know, work in my professional um, role on homelessness. So, um, you know, that's why I brought it up again today, but other than that, than that, just like no additional comments or revisions. Just wanted to elevate that for the board. Is this specific to the, to the meeting? May 23rd. Many May 23rd. Meetings, okay. Yes. Other than that, um, I don't have any comments or revisions, and um, I move to approve. Okay. Any other comments on May 23rd minutes? No? Okay. Let's go ahead and take a vote on that, on that one. Uh, I think we do need oh, a second. Need a I'll, I'll go ahead and second. We have a second? Yeah, remember how I'm seconds. Okay. Remember Reza? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Aye. Curtis? Aye. Hom? Aye. Ruiz? Aye. Teague? Aye. President Sahaba? Aye. And the minutes of May 23rd are approved. Okay. Uh, minutes for June 13th, 2022. Any corrections or comments on those? Uh, no, okay. And anyone have a motion? I'll offer a motion to approve the minutes for June 13th. Okay, uh, I'll second that. Let's go ahead and take a vote. Board Member Risa? Aye. Cisneros? Aye. Uh, Curtis? Aye. Hom? Aye. Ruiz? Abstain. 
Teague. Um, actually, Board Member Ariza should abstain. Uh, and I vote aye, as she wasn't on the board at that time. I think she did abstain, right? Or no? no, I didn't. Unless she has watched a video. Oh, that's true. Sorry. I didn't watch the video. Okay. Okay, so that's an abstention um, from Board Member Ariza. And an abstention from Board Member Ruiz, uh, that was who was absent at the meeting. And um, Board Member Teague, your vote was an aye. Yes. And um, aye. Pre President Sahaba. Aye. Okay, so that motion passes with two abstentions. Okay, meeting minutes for June 27th. Any corrections or motions? Me move that the minutes be approved. Okay. I'll second that. Let's go ahead and take a vote. Uh, remember Riza? I abstain. Uh, Cisneros? Aye. Curtis? Aye. Palm? Aye. Uh, Ruiz? Aye. Uh, remember Teague? Abstain. And President Sahaba. Aye. So that motion carries with two abstentions, five ayes. Okay, let's go to meeting minutes from July 11th, 2022. Any uh, board member T? Um, at the very bottom of staff communications, it says no shock clock. It should be shot clock. And we never did hear back what the story was, so. Alan. I can give you an update during staff communication. That would be great. Yeah, for upcoming agenda items. Okay, so that's a correction. Any others? No. Okay, do we have a motion? I moved as a minute to be accepted as the corrected. I'll second. Okay. So I have a motion and a second. Let's have a vote. Uh, board member Riza. I abstain. Cisneros. Aye. Curtis. Aye. Hong. Aye. Ruiz. Aye. Teague. Aye. And President Sahaba, Aye. that motion carries with one abstention. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Uh, agenda item 9A and 9B, staff communications. Alan? Uh, yes. So for your upcoming meeting on uh, Monday, October 10th, um, we will be back with the housing element maps, as Director Thomas had explained. Um, we will be bringing to you a design review for uh, at 916 uh, Union Street that relates to the wireless proposal that Board Member Teague was asking for. Um, there will also be uh, an, an item on the Alameda Landing um, Community Building, which uh, we brought before this board, I believe, last December to talk about uh, mending the Alameda Marina 
uh, I'm sorry, Alameda Landing Master Plan um, to change the use of that uh, 5,000 square foot community building. So we will be bringing a proposal forward um, in response to that item. Um, and we tentatively plan to cancel the planning board meeting of Monday, October 24th, because we've heard that some of you might be out at a, a conference. Um, and, and then resuming um, future meetings, um, uh, first meeting in November. So that's the game plan right now. Okay, thank you. So, um, sorry, I need to raise my hand. I can't yeah, that's no, okay, go ahead. Um, the, for those who were absent from last meeting, um, several of us that's during ULI fall meeting, and I know that I plan to attend uh, President Saheba, I don't know your schedule. I know that you usually attend and uh, for members is narrow. I understand you usually attend as well. Um, and again, you don't have to leave on Monday. So given that I didn't know what everyone's schedule was, I alerted um, the staff of that potential absence during that time. Yeah, I, I'll be available So um, on that day. So I, I, I should be able to attend. Um, so I don't know who else. So board member Cisneros, are you able to attend? Have I you... should be able to attend as well. That's good to know. So that uh, we have that option to have a meeting if necessary, but currently we don't have any items scheduled. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I will be in internet wasteland. So my ability to connect or not connect will vary widely on that day. Okay. Um, all right, thanks for letting us know. It sounds like there's no agenda items at the moment, so that meeting is probably looking to be canceled. Uh, okay, let's, uh, written communications. I think we received all written communications, board communications. Board members may ask a clarifying question and make brief announcements. Um, I'd like to first uh, welcome uh, President Therese, uh, uh, Ruiz and Hansom, Vice President Hansom to um, take over the, the, the board. It's um, uh, more, more than happy to pass the baton. So glad, glad you all are jumping in and, um, and look forward to continuing with the board as we go forward. Um, any other, uh, I see board member Teague, you've raised your hand. I wanted to welcome board member Ariza uh, to the board. I wasn't here when you joined and last time my internet was terrible. So uh, I'm thrilled to have you as part of this board. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for all the direct or indirect um, lessons and learning the ropes. Thank you. Yes, great to have you part of the board. Uh, any, anything else from anyone on board communications? Uh, board member Curtis? I, I just wanna say, um, President Sahaba, you did a hell of a job and you sat in the hot seat during some tough times and you really did a good job in directing this group and my hat's off to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Staff would echo that. 
and Princess Heba, thank you for all the time that um, on the Monday check-ins that we normally do. Thank you for um, your time yeah. on that. Thanks. I echo that. Thank you for passing the housing element on plan. <laughs> Hopefully things get easier. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Any oh board I member. Just, I just wanted to echo you. You've done a wonderful job the past year. You have a very. You keep the meetings moving along and very steady. Uh, I, I appreciate that. So that's. I know it's, it's not easy to keep track of everything either. So you, I think you've done a wonderful job. Oh, I do. It's ten seventeen. It's kind of late, <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you. Um, okay, well, let's go to agenda item 12, oral communications. Anyone may address the board on a topic that was not on this agenda if, um, as uh, the public. Um, if you'd like to, please raise your hand. Anyone raising their hand? No, doesn't look like it. All right, this meeting's adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.